Hey guys, welcome back to the PSA Papi podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Betances, and I have something different prepared for you today. Um, if you've ever listened to this podcast, uh, you know that my personal brand is many things. It's humorous and intelligent and extra. In many ways, it's bold and unfiltered. You're still going to get all of that in this episode. Trust me, I am going to spill some tea today. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, I'm even going to share things that most people would be scared or embarrassed to make public knowledge. This is uh, very personal, but it's important for me to get it out there. Now, my story, to be very clear, has to do with my faith. I am Christian and I absolutely believe in Jesus, but I'm not coming on here to shove anything down your throat. I don't do that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I'm simply here to share my story. If it inspires you, lit. If it doesn't, at least you have a better understanding of who I am as a person. Thanks for listening. See you next episode. Now, real quick, I understand that this can be confusing to some of you, given that I'm a well-educated, bisexual, Latino descendant of slave and slave owners. And there's a lot of reconcile there. I don't agree with the way God's name has been used by people and institutions in both history and the present day to perpetuate and excuse all kinds of oppression, but that's a whole other topic for another day. Um, I also don't at all negate science. Episode 5, Clowns and Coronavirus, provides some evidence of that. And Somebody's going to be like, oh, well, if you believe in science, how can you believe in God? Listen, it just is what it is. There's a lot of shit I can't explain. That's kind of the point. Some of the things I've experienced are so beyond the scope of not just mine, but of any understanding, the scope of any explanation, that it's useless to try and apply human logic to it. So again, this is a testimony. Maybe not a traditional one. You know, it's definitely not safe for work. And they probably wouldn't let you play this in a church if you tried. (laughs) But my mission for this show has always been to give you the real. So without further ado, let's get into it. So as long as I can remember, my family's believed in God. I was pretty passive about God for most of my life. Like, I wasn't being intentional with him and definitely wasn't trying to be, like, you know, goody-goody or anything like that. Um, But I always had the knowledge and understanding that he's real. And that was never a question. I knew that for a fact. Um, Just based on the different testimonies and things that had happened in my family, and particularly through my grandmother, who has an especially strong relationship with him. I'll give you an example. When that earthquake happened in Japan back in March 2011, the one that ended up fucking up the Fukushima power plant and set off all those tsunamis and all that, My brother was in Tokyo with my sister-in-law when that happened, and she was trying on wedding dresses because they were going to get married the the year after. And, you know, everything went down. Nobody could reach them. So you can already imagine communication was crazy. All over the news, it's images of floods and destruction all over the country, and we hadn't heard from them. So we're all just, like, praying and waiting and, you know, praying and waiting and waiting some more. And my grandmother had this whole prayer chain going on in DR. Well, one day this lady from her church calls her and says, your grandson is fine. He's safe. When he was in trouble, he sought the Lord. So finally, when we got in contact with my brother, sure enough, that's exactly what happened. You know, when everything started shaking, he threw himself to the ground and he prayed to God. And, you know, religious is not exactly the word that you'd use to describe my brother at all. And again, we didn't really have that kind of relationship with God despite knowing what we did. So for him to seek the Lord, that's already huge for him, you know, and for this woman who's completely removed and in a whole other country to know that and to come with that word from the Lord before we even heard from my brother, like that's, listen, so that's one testimony and there've been so many of them. I'll I'll give you another one. So my grandmother one day was in the shower and the Lord spoke to her and told her, your son is sick. So she shook, you know, because when you hear God's voice telling you your son is sick, that's scary. And, you know, anybody would be terrified. So she's like... Lord, I just, 
I want to make sure this is coming from you. Give me confirmation. I'm going to go ahead and call him. And you know, he doesn't pick up the phone for nothing when he's working. So if he picks up, I know there's something going on. Well, she calls and he picks up. So she's like, oh my God, you're sick. Go to the hospital now. And he's like, oh no, like I'm, I'm fine. But wait, <laughs> how do you know? <laughs> well, turns out he'd been feeling a little off. And she's like, you know, no, this is serious. You don't even know what it is. Leave work right now. Go to the hospital right now. But of course he didn't. So tell me why a few days later he had to get hospitalized. And there were a few things wrong, but one of them was an issue with his heart. He immediately had to have, you know, this whole surgery and got this device. I can't remember um, exactly what it, it was. like. A, not like a pacemaker, but something similar. But he had to have this whole device implanted into him immediately. And, you know, thank God through intercession and prayer and medical intervention, his life was saved. But that whole situation, that was just crazy. I'll give you guys one more. This one's really cute. So one time, this is when I was in college. I was short on funds for school, you know, as always, and as anybody was. But one time my grandmother was sitting down and praying and she just stopped and looked at me and was like, you're about to have money come in. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and then that day I got an email from somebody in financial aid and they had like, quote unquote, you know, found some extra funds, whatever that means, um, that they could allocate toward my account. And, you know, they sprinkled a little grant money on your boy. And I was like, oh, <laughs> Um, you know, praise God. So stuff like that has always happened. And there've been so many times in which the Lord has really moved in miraculous ways. And those are some of the miracles, but there's also the day-to-day -day things that he does for us. Like I in particular have been very blessed throughout my life and a lot of the things that I've been able to experience, um, especially at a young age and all the successes and accomplishments that I've been able to claim. So I just wanted to give you some context because I need you all to understand that everything that happens in this testimony builds on that base. And as wild or strange as some of that, you know, may sound to y'all, and as truly amazing as it is, uh, they're actually normal, logical experiences for me and my family. In August 2017, I started working at this talent agency. And I mean, before I even get into that, like that was a whole thing, me getting there to begin with, because I never applied for this job. Literally, I had my homegirl just texting me like, hey, listen, send me your resume. And my resume went from her to... Her homegirl, whom, with whom she interned at another talent agency, well, now that homegirl was working at a different talent agency and was working under an agent that serves a lot of high-profile clients whose partner in New York was in need of an assistant. And that's like the whole chain that my resume went through. <laughs> so anyway, I went on this whole interview cycle that summer and each new interview was like a new step. It was like so many hoops I had to jump through. And in the end, I actually didn't get selected for that job. Somebody else did who had, you know, previous experience, like was internal. She ended up becoming my homegirl. But anyway, I didn't get selected, but I did get hired. I got hired as, as a floater assistant. So before I even get more into it, let me just explain what a talent agency is. Because I know a lot of you guys aren't in entertainment and may not know. Well, a talent agency is a company that represents talent. So be it music artists, actors, authors, journalists, whatever, and brings them business. An agent's goal is to keep their clients booked and busy and paid, but also to help grow their career strategically. And started from the bottom, Drake rapped, now I'm on a road half a million for a show. Well, last year he signed a 10-show Las Vegas residency deal, making him one million per show. And you don't just get those kinds of offers right out the gate. You know, Travis didn't have McDonald's and PlayStation and Nike knocking with these kinds of partnerships five years ago, but they're knocking now. And that kind of business takes time and strategy to cultivate. And it's a coordinated effort between the different players on the artist team, most notably their agent. 
So I worked in the concerts department at one of the major agencies, which represents a lot of huge acts. I was an assistant to an agent. This agent annually is on these billboard lists. Like she was on Billboard 40 Under 40. For a few years now, she's been annually on like the Billboard R&B and hip hop power players list. So, you know, pretty successful. And if you were to look at the top 10 on the Billboard 200 and the Billboard Hot 100 charts right now, uh, as of this recording, my boss, you know, specifically represented some of those acts. So, yeah. So here I'm at this talent agency. And, you know, our job in concerts was to book tours, one-off shows, and festival plays for all these artists and to service those bookings and everything that comes with that. Now, usually when I mention this to anyone, they're like, oh, wow, like, that sounds so cool. And, you know, like, working at an agency definitely has its perks here and there. I got unique insight into the music industry. I learned what it takes to put a tour together from the ground up. I learned a lot. I was on a lot of calls with agents and artist managers and labels. And I caught not only the business side of it and the politicking, but also I got so much tea. You know, even shit that never hit the blogs. Obviously, all of that had to stay confidential, but it was, you know, it was pretty cool. I went to a bunch of shows for free, uh, some album release parties. I got to go to festivals as VIP and shit, which, you know, once you do that, you really can't go back to the GA. Like, it's just a whole other experience with, you know, all this space and free liquor and perks and shit. And one time I was side stage for Future when I had just started and he brought out Young Thug and Nicki Minaj. And that was just, that was incredible. (laughs) You know, festivals were really fun because sometimes, you could, you know, there were just so many ways to finesse. Like I was um, between the stage and the audience for Travis Scott at GovBall, even though we didn't represent Travis. Um, And I was on, I was on fucking stage for Diplo, even though I had nothing to do with his team. (laughs) Don't even ask. My favorite was when this one time my homegirl booked Bad Bunny at this beach festival in Mexico. And the day before she was like, um, you should come. So I like used my miles. I flew out the next morning to San Diego. We got picked up by a, a transportation service that took us over the border to Rosarito. And we had like a premium open bar and buffet. And I saw Brian Myers, Farruko, and Bad Bunny like front row with some homies that I had worked with, but only met over the phone up to that point. And, you know, it was incredible. And you know, I woke up Sunday in San Diego, rode up to LA, chilled a little bit, took the red eye into New York and went straight into work like it never happened. Uh, <laughs> so that was, oh, that was dope. Yeah. So working at an agency is a lot. There are a lot of moving parts. It's a ton of work. The volume can be absolutely insane. And a lot of it's time sensitive. It's a very thankless job with long hours. You know, you're managing not just a never ending workload, but dealing with a lot of internal and external stakeholders and everybody's egos and personalities and needs. Getting yelled at is not uncommon. The whole thing is very draining, very exhausting. It's an endless sacrifice. You really don't have time for friends, family, or yourself. And, you know, you become a disappointment in all the relationships you maintain. And, you know, it's really tough. And the pay is absolute ass. And I know I love ass, but I truly mean that in the worst way. Like, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people are... (laughs) A lot of people are able to start off as assistants because their parents have industry connections and they're wealthy and they can afford to sustain them. And it's not exactly easy to survive off of that kind of salary when you've got other systemic barriers. And that's actually part of how a lot of the business side of the industry has remained so overwhelmingly white for so many years. So yeah, as I've described, agencies are a special type of hell on earth. And you deal with the bullshit because that kind of pressure, that kind of crushing definitely makes you more competent in your work and you know if you stay the course you know if you struggle through it you can be promoted to coordinator and then agent within like five or so years and you know if that's not your end goal after you know a year on a desk working for a specific agent you've basically proven yourself and you're good to you know get a job elsewhere in the industry but 
Your experience is in large part dictated by your boss. You know, some agents are mellow. Many, I'd say, you know, can be hard asses, but also fair. But some are just like next level. And, you know, to be completely honest, that's kind of the experience that I had with mine. I'm not, you know, interested on shitting on her or anything. If that were the case, I would not be holding back like I am right now. And I also wouldn't have left as graciously as I did, which, you know, we'll get into that later. But I do want to paint a picture of some of the shit I dealt with because the fact of the matter is I lived it. And because how miserable I was during this period of time has everything to do with my testimony and where I'm at now. My boss treated me like shit, bro. And I don't mean that she was difficult, like that was expected, but... The way my boss would routinely treat and talk to me, like the way my boss would yell at me, was OD. There were moments when assistants, coordinators, even agents, and not just from my own department, but from other departments on the floor, would see this and be like, Yikes. And, you know, some would hit me afterwards to check on me and offer words of encouragement or affirmation. And, you know, it's not even crazy for this to come from your own assistant homies who you're in the trenches with, but from agents, like in other departments, and from from staff, even from the cleaning lady, like, stop it. Like, that was, it was just, it was crazy. Another thing was, for most of my time there, I felt like I could never leave my desk. When your boss is in the office, you want to be available. But even if they're out of office or traveling, it's still a trap. Because if the phone rings and you don't pick it up, the voicemail goes into their inbox. Which is a clutch tool, but she would get on me because it felt as if to her, there was no conceivable reason as to why I would have been away. And if she ever called and I missed her call, she'd be like, what, like, what the fuck? Then a few times I'd missed her call and I called back a few minutes later after returning and she'd be like, where were you? And I'm like, uh, like, restroom? Like, <laughs> the fuck? And at one point I had to start telling her every single time I was going to leave my desk. Like, she, she, like, required that. Every time I had to go down the hall for a minute just to make a copy for her, what she asked me to do, um, every time I had to piss, every single time I had to take a shit, I had to tell my boss where I was going. Every time. Every single time. And that level of control was absurd. Like, legit, like, people in the office would joke that I was chained to my desk. And the way that I would get yelled at almost every day, that shit gave me anxiety to leave. If I had to go anywhere, I literally would ask the homies who sat by me to text me if my phone rang. So you already know I very rarely took time off, and anytime I tried, it was treated as a huge inconvenience. Whenever you're out, you can request a floater to cover your desk for a few hours of the whole day. At agencies, a floater is like a general assistant, not specific to any department. They report to like HR and usually they wouldn't do specific work, but you use them mainly for calls and like the lighter and more administrative stuff that they can handle. Anyway, so every three months I had to see my doctor and get blood work because of a certain medication I was on. The gains on what I'm talking about. <laughs> and every single time, she would still be blowing up my phone, even though she had a floater, even though I would be gone for an hour and a half, three hours max, between you know, the waiting, appointment, getting labs, going to the pharmacy, grabbing some food to eat at my desk once I got back. Um, my doctor's office was literally on the same block as our office. Like, legit, if you look at a map, my building had entrances on the north and south sides of the block, and my clinic was in a building literally around the corner on the west side of that same block. You know, one night I had a, um, a a health emergency and I told her that I would need to see a doctor the next day. And you know what she said? This woman had the nerve to look at me with a stank face like, can't you go before or after work? I just, here I am, essential to her business. And when I tell her there's something wrong, it's not, oh, are you, are you okay? You know, oh, wow, keep me posted. It's not even, okay, cool, like, when are you going to be back? 
It's can't you go before or after work? Girl, before or after work, when? If I literally spend all day in this bitch. I come in in the morning and I'm here tonight and you know this. Like, are you serious? Yo, <laughs> like, I know you fucking lying. Oh my God. So, yeah. And she would gaslight me all the time. Personally, my fave was one. It happened in front of other people because, you know, catching it requires full context. So it was especially validating if the assistants around me were there, you know, for the initial conversation and then also the switch up. Because then I could just turn to them like I'm on the office and not even say a word. And they just be like, wow. And I'd be like, you saw that, right? And they'd be like, bruh. So, yeah, I got stories for days. I'm really not interested in getting into all of that. But I just wanted to set a basic scene for you so you can realize, you know, get some insight into what it was. Now, I had two coping mechanisms that I used to help me deal. And the first one was smoking. I used to leave work absolutely drained, ride up the hour commute to Washington Heights, grab some fast food because they were open late, get home, roll up, eat, knock the fuck out and do it all over again every single day. And it was to the point where You know how you have a time that you calculate that's like the last possible minute, like the last second that you can get out of bed and get and start getting ready so that you're not late for work? Yeah, I used to have to budget up to three hours before that so I could lay awake in bed just trying to muster up the strength to get my ass up and go to work knowing that there was a 99% chance that I was going to get validated that day and that I still had to be high functioning and pleasant. I was really tapping into some serious acting skills there. Yo, when I tell you I would legit smoke my whole weekend away. And you know, it's not even like I wasn't built for the hustle. Like literally my last semester, I was doing 20 hours of my internship at E, 20 to 25 hours working at Apple in Santa Monica at the Genius Bar, and then dealing also with my full course load. I went to fucking Boston Latin school. Like I am no stranger to the hustle, but this shit was different. Like this shit was a different type of toxic. And there were whole weekends when I just couldn't do shit. No exaggeration. There were a whole weekends when I was just glued to the couch where I had knocked out the night before. Whole Saturdays when I couldn't gather the strength to get up and make myself something to eat. Some I didn't even have the strength to roll up sometimes because that's just how exhausted and depressed I was. You know, and my second mechanism was fucking. <laughs> <laughs> on... <laughs> On, on very few occasions, I would, you know, I would make a plan on weeknight, but mostly it was weekends. You know, I might have a Tinder date here or um, a straight up grinder link up there and I would just fuck these niggas. And it's not even like I was new to that. You know, if you know me for some time, like, you know, I've been about my nut, but I was like on my whole game. Like she was crazy. Like I was, I was like, I was wilding. Um, But, you know, it was a little fun that I could have. And both of those things, you know, smoking and fucking the way I was, they really just helped me to keep going at a time when I was absolutely miserable. So anyway, at this point, we're at summer 2018, still working there, still going through it. And I managed to take like two days off to go to Miami for my niece's baptism. It was a whole family thing. Everybody was going. And (laughs) actually, it's funny because I was afraid to ask if I could go because I know how my boss was. But when I went to talk to her about it, she was shook because she thought the conversation I was trying to have was me quitting. So <laughs> so she was like, you know, when I said, no, I just need these two days off, she was relieving. So she said, yeah. I went down to Miami, did the whole family thing, flew down with my dad and hit all his kids and whatever. And now at the same time that I was in Miami, my homegirl, 
like one of my closest friends who still lived in Boston, she was also down there visiting family. And as it turns out, her aunt's place where she was staying at was legit a seven minute drive from my brother's place where I was staying. So the last night I was in Miami, I took an Uber, I linked up with her. We copped some butt from the dude at the gas station. Um, kind of fitting, he literally had that gas. But anyway, we were there, we rolled up two fat ass blunts. So here we are on this nice little blunt walk, strolling in this neighborhood we know nothing about. It's like two in the morning, um, two, three in the morning. We finished the first blunt, we crossed the street, decided to sit on this random bench at the edge of this intersection. And while we're there smoking the second one, this cop car drives by and then another drives by and we're like, mm, and then another drives by and then we're like, yo, okay. Like, you know, the block is hot. Like what's going on? So we decide at that point, we're like, all right, hold on. There's a lot going on. We decided to, you know, put it out and get up. And I was like, mm, leave the blunt, leave the blunt on the bench. Like, you know, leave it right there. It was just like the whole, it was just so sus. Like, it felt like the police were everywhere. I didn't want no problems. You know, this wasn't Boston. It was fucking Florida. And, you know, down there, you know, laws are different. So anyway, we start walking. And as we're walking, you know, I'm just like, it just kind of, I was like, you know what? Maybe I was overreacting. Like, maybe it wasn't for all that. And just as I said that, two cop cars zoomed past us. And we were like, bro, okay, <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Maybe I, <laughs> maybe I wasn't overreacting. So at that moment, I said a quick prayer. I was like, Lord, protect us. And y'all, <laughs> bruh, in that instant, like the second I finished saying, Lord, protect us, I felt this, like this powerful wave just hit me. Like the only way I could describe it is, you imagine like getting zapped by lightning, like it's a cartoon and I got zapped by lightning, except it didn't come from outside. It just, it came from inside of me. And like instantly like radiated out in a heartbeat, like in a second. And with that wave, I heard this voice, but I didn't hear it with my ears. Like it sounds weird or cliche or whatever. I didn't hear it with my ear. Like I, I, I heard it like in my heart. And it was a strong ass voice that was like, Really nigga? <laughs> Y'all, I was like, ah. <laughs> Y'all, I was, yo, I, I, I promise you. I, I promise you that happened. Y'all, I was shook. Like, shook. Like, immediately. Listen, so, immediately, I knew it was God. I was like, damn, God says nigga? Like, ah. But, you know, apparently he meets you where you're at. Like, you know, that's a whole other sermon. But remember, all of this happened in one second. I felt that strong-ass zap coming from within me. And then that, I heard that big-ass voice in my heart. And, like, I knew. I understood instantly what it meant. And I knew that he was just so frustrated. Uh, my trifling ass, having had the audacity to be out here, you know, casually smoking blunts at three in the morning and God knows whose hood, you know, where we knew nothing or nobody, hella exposed my skinny little light skin ass in a city and state where smoking and possession are illegal. Meanwhile, the block is hot and cops are suddenly everywhere and all it takes is one police interaction for shit to fuck up a dream or a life. And, you know, all this knowing that he had plans for me. Because God was with me. He had shown me things and revealed things to me in dreams. And all I had to do was be faithful and stick by him. But there I was, putting everything at risk for a little sesh. And then having the nerve to be like, God protect us. Bruh. <sighs> yeah. The only... <laughs> Yeah, it was a lot. The only thing I hate about telling the story actually is that, you know, some people are like, bro, you were smoking on that strong. And I'm like, nah, like 
I had been smoking for years. I had years facing blunts. And I never smoked mids. So don't try to play me with that shit. Like, I know what happened. I know what that was. That shit was crazy. But anyway, the vibe definitely shifted that night. You know, we grabbed food. We headed home. The next afternoon, I flew back home. And I had all that in the back of my mind. But I really just tried not to think about it. Because, you know, it was a lot. A few days later, this homie I had at the time crashed at my place, and he had the fantastic idea of having a threesome. So we spent that entire weekend smoking and looking for a third. We had somebody come through, and we bust that dude down. Uh, (laughs) And basically, you know, I was back on my bullshit, except honestly worse, because threesomes really, you know, weren't my MO, but there I was doing the most. Uh, Anyway, from then on, I I just, you know, continued as I was for the next two weeks doing me, working on the weekdays, wild on the weekends. And, you know, then on a Monday, I got a call in the morning from my mom and she was shook, you know, saying that my grandma had called her, which immediately you already know what that, you know, you know, she said, but she didn't want to tell me what it was until I was at work and settled. So I'm like, shit, because, you know, when the Lord gives my grandma a word, it's a word. And for my mom to be shook the way she was, like, I knew it was something very serious, so why I get to the office and I call her and she tells me that my grandma called her that morning feeling like she'd been stabbed in the gut because the Lord had a word about me. And at first I was concerned because I thought it was about like taking away my gifts and the promises that he'd made, you know, but it wasn't even that. Apparently, you know, the word was that he was ready to wipe me off the face of the earth. Bruh. Just like that, that he was ready to get rid of me. When I tell you I was shook and I was pressed too, because imagine hearing that guy ready to take you out, and then you gotta work a whole last day in this toxic ass environment, just feeling like shit with all that hanging over your head. You can't even say nothing to nobody because everybody gonna be looking at you like you fucking crazy, you know, like <laughs> bruh. So you know, I left the office quote unquote early that day. I left at like six, and the next day I called out. I said there was a family emergency, you know, which technically there was. Bitch, I was the family emergency. And to put it into perspective for anyone who doesn't believe, it's like, imagine, you know, this is who made me. This is who has blessed me throughout my entire life, who's responsible for all my accomplishments, who's literally saved my life on many occasions through surgeries and car accidents, who chose me specifically for things when he doesn't owe me shit. This is a God full of grace and patience who doesn't expect us to be perfect and leaves all this room for us to fuck up and keep trying. But I failed him so badly and embarrassed and disgusted him so much to the point where he was ready to knock my lights out. Yo, that shit is heavy. Like, it's heavy and it's it's scary, but it's also shameful. Like, yo, like, how, how worthless am I? Like, how trash do you gotta be, you know? And... You know, it's not like I was doing anything wrong by worldly standards, but that's the thing is I wasn't called to live by worldly standards. Like I was called to try to do right by him. And I knew that the way I was living was contradicting that, even though I didn't fully get why. I didn't really understand this until later, but one of the things that God hates the most is, you know, if if it's not what he hates the most is idolatry. And, you know, he commands us to have no other gods before him. And what I didn't understand then is that this doesn't just mean, like, it doesn't just refer to, you know, quote-unquote gods of other, you know, cultures and religions. This can refer to literally anything that you replace them with. So it's God's job to comfort us in our affliction. It's our job to seek him for help, to let him know we feel some type of way, to lean on him in hard times. And I wasn't doing that anymore. I got to my job through God. I got to my job through all these hoops and eventually hired through prayer And, you know, 
he was in the center of it the entire way through. I remember one time, right one before, uh, right before one of my interviews, um, my grandmother and I were praying before I left, and she literally, she, uh, she had a, uh, the Lord presented her a vision, and she told me, you know, there's gonna be this lady, and she's, uh, she's gonna be black, and she has poofy hair, and you know, um. She has uh, two puffs in her hair and da 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 and then there's going to be a man and all that. And I'm over here thinking like, I don't know what you're talking about because it's going to be a man who's going to interview me. Well, sure enough, when I got to the office, um, the lady working security was a black lady with two poofs in her head. Even months later, when I was a floater helping out in this guy's office, my grandmother was telling me that the Lord showed her I wasn't going to work for him, that I was going to work for a woman, not a man. And then in this crazy turn of events, my boss's desk became open and I was offered that position. So, like, literally, the Lord had been with me the entire way through, just creating opportunities for me to flex um, and and also just assuring me that things were going to go all right. So that's how I got to my job. But once I was there, I just strayed so far from him and I wasn't leaning on him anymore. When I got home late at night feeling like shit, I wouldn't pray about it. I would roll up every single time and or, or I go get a nut. And I would feel better that way. And I have been using those as stand-ins. So even though I had gotten far through prayer and some type of lazy walk with Christ, by this point, I had completely replaced him. I was ignoring him. And that was the problem. So yeah, that day off, I spent in prayer and repentance, literally just asking God for forgiveness and mercy and feeling like shit and crying and, you know, and just praying some more. And meanwhile, my boss is blowing me up about some shit. Um, but there was a point in the afternoon when I just felt... So much grace. Like, I just felt so much lighter. Like, I didn't have that heaviness. And I knew it was his doing because I'm fucking hard on myself. Like, I beat myself up over some shit that other people would be like, it's fine. Relax. So, to one day, know your God is fucking over your dumbass, And then the next, to suddenly feel that kind of peace, is just like, that shit did not come from me. So, yeah. From then on, I tried to slow down a bit. Like, I had a good two and a half week run where I just, I didn't smoke or drink or have sex. Like, it's not even that I was trying to do that long term, per se. Um, but, you know, just out of respect for the situation, I wanted to chill out. And I also just wanted to try to move away from this dependence that I had because I was really using those things as a crutch. So, yeah, I went a good two and a half weeks. Then one night after the gym, I seen this nigga outside that gave me the eye. So we walked to a park and he gave me head and I was like... Yeah, this is exactly, this is exactly that shit I need to not be doing. Um, but you know, you, you recognize where you fucked up, you bring it to the Lord, you try better next time, um, and do so with sincerity. And yeah, so that was the end of August 2018, right? Now, from then on, I really tried to be more conscious and, you know, more intentional about this shit. Like, I kept it much more exclusive, like, who I was fucking around with. Um, I drastically cut back on how much I was smoking. I really was working on trying to quit. And by late October, early November, I started going to church. So I went to the Gathering Harlem. It was a young black church, very in the word, but also not stiff and judgmental. They called themselves Church for the Unchurched, which is dope because traditionally and ironically, Christian churches have the reputation of being very Pharisaic, being very judgmental. So yeah, I started going. My homegirl also was at a you know certain crossroads in her life and she started coming with me in December. And yeah, so at this point, I was still very much so doing me, you know, but just trying to do better. So listen, I was still working at the talent agency, still dealing with all the bullshit and the nonsense that came with it. Now in entertainment, and this is pretty much industry-wide, everything shuts down for two weeks at the end of the year. So we got two weeks off paid, which was nice, 
Although we didn't get overtime, so that kind of sucked. But otherwise, it was like a fucking relief. A whole breath of fresh air. So I had a nice little winter break. Kicked it off with my birthday up in Dykeman. You already know we were lit. Um, spent some time with family. Went to Boston. Did the whole thing. Now, as time went on, with each passing day, I had this feeling in the pit of my stomach, this growing anxiety that would just not leave me alone. And it got worse and worse just thinking about the day that I'd have to return to work. And it culminated in me just slumping back into this depression. The day before I had to go back, I was just feeling like absolute shit. I wasn't even planning on going to church. I didn't set an alarm. But I woke up at 8 a.m. on the dot, and I was just lying on the couch where I knocked the night before, and I did not want to move. I was just dreading work so much. And then I got a text from my mom. Now, my mom would send a Bible verse or two to the group chat every morning, and usually we'd read them and be like, amen. But that morning, she sent Isaiah 60 verse 1, and it was the first time that I read it. And it goes, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. I'm going to say that again. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. So I read that, and that shit just hit different. Because here I was in despair, and I'm being told to get my ass up, but through scripture. And I was like, you know what? Let me do that. Let me get my ass up. Let me go to church to receive this word. So I went. And the sermon that day was about a story. We're kind of in a few places, but we were in Matthew 14 here, uh, starting at verse 22, in which Jesus had just done this miracle and fed like 5,000 people. And he tells his disciples to go out on the lake ahead of him. And instead, you know, he goes out on a mountain to pray. Now, that night, while the disciples are out on the lake, there's this huge storm. And just before dawn, they see a figure walking uh, on the water before them. And they're all shook because they think it's a ghost. But Jesus is like, nah, chill, it's me. And they're all like, I don't know. And Peter's like, listen, if it really is you, tell me to walk on the water and I'll do it. And Jesus is like, bet, come through. So Peter steps off the boat and he's really walking on water. And, you know, the wind picks up. His fear grows. He starts to sink. And he's like, Jesus, save me. You know, and Jesus reaches out and grabs him. But he also low-key rashes him like, you have little faith. Why'd you doubt me? Y'all, when I listen to that sermon... It's not even like I hadn't heard the basics of that story before, but receiving that word then, it was just so timely. Like, especially after the events of that morning, being wide awake that early when I should have been knocked and receiving that verse encouraging me to get up. Because it perfectly encapsulated where I was with my job then. I had felt for a while that I was at a crossroads and I had two options. I could stay at my job, stay on this boat, and in time, I could get promoted to another desk eventually get coordinator and then agent and I I could be a good agent I can make some good money eventually and I could have a good career you know and I might be miserable like almost everyone around me but it would be safe or I could leave because the reality is that I was way too intelligent creative funny and fucking charismatic to bet against myself for the sake of safety to stay on the boat and give up 100% of myself just to earn 10% commission off of somebody else's stardom when the truth was that I had the potential to be someone who would feed many off of my work but I would never realize that full potential if I didn't have the faith and courage to get on my feet, walk off that motherfucking boat, and fully trust that God got it. Yo, I heard that shit and I knew it was for me. Sometimes you receive a word so pointed that speaks directly to a specific situation in your life at that moment, more so than it does to others. And, you know, I just knew in that moment that shit was for me. When it was over, I literally turned to my homegirl and I was like, I think I gotta quit. <laughs> she was like, what? What? 
you know, and I briefly texted another friend about it and I told my sister and my mom and I called two different agents that I was cool with to talk it through. And I happened to see my dad that night and, you know, he thought I was an idiot to quit without having something lined up. But honestly, I didn't give a fuck. Like, I knew that it was going to work out and it was not my job to know how. So by that night, I knew exactly what I wanted to do, but I hadn't prayed about it yet. So, you know, I did that and saw confirmation and when I felt the wave of goosebumps, that's that's how I feel the spirit. Some people feel it, you know, differently. Like some feel heat, but for me, it's these crazy, like these wild goosebumps. Like they could be absolutely nothing that would lend to any atmospheric shift. But when those goosebumps rush out of nowhere and come on so strong, I, I know the spirit is present. So when I felt that, I felt confident to do what I needed to do and make the move. So the next day, I gave my notice to HR. And there wasn't a right moment to have that conversation with us that day. So I did the next morning on Tuesday. And it was a positive conversation. You know, I, I said I was grateful for the experience, which, you know, aside from the abuse, I was. And, you know, I learned a lot. I was very grateful that she gave me a chance and hired me. I framed my resignation as me wanting to do something more creative, which was absolutely true. And she seemed supportive of that at first, you know. And you could tell she was a little concerned. You know, she was like, so is this your two weeks? And I literally was like, God, no. Like, I wouldn't leave you out to dry like that. And she was very grateful for that. She thanked me right then and there. And yeah, so I gave her four weeks to allow time to hire somebody who then I could train. You know, at one point, my department head pulled me into his office for a conversation and was like, you know, so like, why are you leaving? Like, what are you, <laughs> you don't even have anything lined up. Like, what are you doing? And I literally asked him, do you believe in God? <laughs> Y'all, we had this whole conversation and he thought I was crazy. Can you imagine like walking into the department head, like this guy who's this big executive, like he's a whole big wig and he's on all the power player lists every year and, you know, wildly successful career and you look at him in the face and be like, yeah, I'm quitting because I believe in God. I know you. <laughs> she was crazy. So, yeah, um, I ended up leaving. And even though we initially had a very positive conversation, my boss ended up being very corny about it. She didn't want me to interview with anyone during work hours, which realistically is the only time anybody would interview you. Like on my very last week, she called me in and was like, so are you really leaving? And I'm like, yeah, like, what are you like? What do you mean? And she tried to gaslight me and tell me that I never gave her a hard date, which I obviously did, which is why we're having this conversation now, because you realize you're at the end of your rope. Tried to tell me that I didn't really give her four weeks because I told her on a Tuesday instead of a Monday. Oh, what? like we're really going to argue over one day. I gave you four weeks, like, stop it. Um, try to tell me that I had said that I would stay longer if I didn't find another job, which is the exact opposite of what I did say. I said I was leaving regardless. Yeah, and and try to and she tried to ask me to stay longer, and I said no. I was out. Like, I knew my time was up. I was all set. Stop playing with me. That same week, actually, the Sunday before it, was when I quit smoking. That was the last time I smoked the blunt. Um, I haven't smoked a blunt, haven't smoked a joint or nothing since. And yeah, I mean, I had been trying to again since like the end of the year before. But um, that was finally the last day that I had did it. And, you know, that shit was truly what kept me on the hamster wheel. Like it was what kept me going. It was what helped me to tolerate all the bullshit. It made me complacent. It made me okay with being treated like trash. And the fact of the matter is, I don't know about y'all, but I wasn't made to survive. Like, I was made to thrive. The week after I quit, I went to DR. Um, I was out there with my mom and my grandma, my brother, um, the nephew. And, you know, we had a good time. We were all in family and stuff. I was out there, you know, reclaiming my time. 
And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, we had a good time. I was out there and, you know, we were praying and stuff. But also, you know, I was, I was wilding. Like, of course, I wanted to see what, you know, Dominican tenor was hitting for. And um, there was this one dude we fucked around on our first date and that we, we linked up a couple of times. And yeah, so anyway, like a month later, I'm in New York and I did something really stupid and like forgot my wallet at the bank. And when I went back to get it like 15 minutes later, it was no longer there. So obviously somebody had taken it. And it was so extra. I just remember I was just feeling very many ways because it's just like, really, bro? Like, it was just such an inconvenience on different levels. And, you know, I had filed a police report for it, blah, 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 you know, da, 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 you know, how to, you know, do all this stupid shit. And one morning, I, like, wake up on the couch because I had, like, KO'd there the night before, as I did many times, <laughs> many times. And I was in this, like, weird, like, dreamlike state where I wasn't quite awake, but I also wasn't really sleeping. And I heard this voice I heard this voice and it said, but it was like my grandmother's voice. I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what she said. When I woke up, like when I kind of like came to, I was like, what was that? Like, was that real? Like, did that really happen? What was that? And I was like, I don't know. Something was bothering me and it wouldn't let me. So I was just like, I have to find out what this is. So I Googled it. You know, in Spanish, everything is phonetic. So it's, it's spelled basically almost you know exactly how it sounds. So I Googled that. And, you know, obviously I know Jehovah is Jehovah. I know that's, um, you know, the Lord God, the Father God. But I didn't know what Jireh was. And I realized, and I and I realized that the only time, that I heard this in my grandmother's voice, but I only other time I'd ever heard this ever in my life was like almost a month before when I was in DR. One time when she was praying, she randomly just started saying, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Jireh. And I didn't know what that meant. I never heard it. So I Googled it and apparently that means the Lord provides. Like that's one of God's names, but that one specifically means God provides. Um, that, you know, he's God the provider. And I just remember being like, how the hell, like, how do I have this random word? I didn't even know how to spell it. I didn't even know what that word was, what it meant. I never heard it in my life except for that one time a month before. And then randomly, it's just like playing in my head. Like I can hear it clearly in my head one morning, like spoken to me. Like it was just like, I was like, okay, Lord, like, oh, like I receive it in the name of Jesus. <laughs> like, okay, I see you. I know you're going to provide for me. Anyway, my, my wallet ended up being found uh, and it was turned into me. And it was actually very crazy how it happened. The way it happened was, it was like I got a call one day from this local burger spot. The way that, like, somebody apparently found it there. I don't know how because I hadn't gone there, but I guess somebody dropped it or turned it in. I don't know what it was, but one of the employees found it there, saw that I had, like, a rewards card with them. So they used my ID to look me up in the system, find my phone number, and call me to let me know, hey, your wallet's here. Come pick it up. So that was, like... I don't know. That was really clutch. But, you know, I, the whole Jehovah Jireh or Jehovah Jireh in English, I knew that applied not just really to this, but to a lot of things, to life in general. I knew that God was declaring himself as my provider in that moment. And I'm like, OK, like, I I, I trust you. Um, we're really doing this. We're really in this. I had a situation right after then. Losing my wallet was going to be such an inconvenience because I was about to go to Boston for my friend's sister's quince. And on the morning that I went to Boston, I got a call from my primary care physician in New York that one of my labs came back really abnormal for something in my liver. They were higher than the normal range, and it was indicative of liver damage. 
And there was concern there. And I was like shook because I'm like, yo, like I'm really about to not have insurance and I'm just having this right now. So I was scared as hell. And I'm like, this is my last day. That was literally the last day of February. Like that was the last day that I could get care and not be charged OD. So I'm here. I'm like, I just arrived in Boston off the Amtrak. I'm over here calling, you know, all the specialists and stuff. And obviously they can't take me. You know how it is. Calling primary care. They can't take me. I ended up calling my old primary care doctor from when I lived in Boston. And he came through for me. Uh, Even though he couldn't get me in for an appointment, he ordered labs right away. All I had to do was come in, get my blood drawn, no questions asked. And I got the results back like the same day which was not a common occurrence. And, you know, thank God, (laughs) thank God they were in the normal range. But it was just like, thank the Lord that that even was a thing because if it weren't for that day, like I really, it just would not have been able to happen. But anyway, cool. I'm in Boston for the King's Day, blah, blah, blah. I come back. And at some point when I come back, I don't remember exactly what it was that prompted me, but I was like, let me do a fast. So a fast... For those of you who may not know, is your decision to abstain from something for religious purposes. And there could be different reasons as to why fasts are done. But for me, I just wanted to clear myself of any distractions or anything that I was, um, you know, anything that could be preventing me from getting clarity and guidance and really just hearing the voice of the Lord in my life at the moment. So it was only going to be for a week. I decided I was going to fast social media and nutting. (laughs) (laughs) Like straight up. Like for that week, I wasn't going to be on socials. I wasn't going to fuck. I wasn't going to get head. I wasn't going to jerk off. I was going to nothing straight up. Just like, you know, I, you know, I felt like just, you know, those might've been distractions in my life at that moment. And I needed clarity. Uh, And post nut clarity is not what we're talking about. So anyway, why on the first day of the fast, I see this dude at the gym and I'm doing my workout. I'm stretching by the window. And I peeped that he's, you know, on the treadmill looking at me with his, you know, cute ass or whatever. And I'm real bold. So when I was done, I walked up to him, you know, and jumped on the front of the treadmill. So we had like eye level face to face. And I'm like, so what's up? And, you know, I did did my thing. I laid the Mac down and I got his number and was out. Cool. So I'm walking home. The gym is like on um, Broadway 177. I'm walking home. I get to 181st. I'm walking towards St. Nick. And I see this other fine ting. And we walked past each other and I I turned around and that nigga turned around too. And I just stood there like, yo, am I really about to do this? And he had kept walking and then, you know, he turned around again. So I knew it was a go. And I was like, oh, I'm not like this. Uh, so I went and I caught up to him real quick, you know, and went and got his number and then I dipped. So I'm almost home. I'm, at this point, I'm texting the both of them. And, you know, Jim dude has a whole man. I don't remember if it's a boyfriend or husband or what. You know, the whole man who flies overseas for work, but, you know, he still wanted to link up for quote-unquote drinks, which we both know was bullshit. Like, he really just wanted an excuse for me to fuck the shit out of him. And then the one from 181st, you know, was straight up like, oh, I don't do texts, I don't do dates, I don't do hangouts, I don't do chilling, I just want to fuck and that's it. And I was like, damn, like, you're cute and every, you, you're cute and all that, but, like, what the fuck? <laughs> Like, yo, I'm not saying I got to be besties with anybody I'm trying to fuck. But if you can't even be cool, like, what's what even is the point? Like, what really? So, yeah, anyway, both of them were obvious dub. And here's the thing. At that point, I was with this mindset that I wanted to be more intentional. Like, obviously, I still wanted to fuck. Yeah. But, you know, I was trying to be on some like, you know, like more bay type of time. And obviously, that's not what I'm trying to get from these two. 
But in general, that's like, you know, where I was where I was kind of heading. And so I was like, okay, well, first of all, this whole shit was mad sauce. Because it's never really been difficult for me to pull niggas in the first place. Like, let's be real. Like, when you, you know, when you are me, <laughs> when you look like this, when you got all of this, bitch, you know, it's... it's <laughs> You know, it's never really been difficult for me to pull niggas in the first place. But, you know, it's like, how the fuck did I just get two numbers within 15 minutes of each other as if nothing doing just the same routine that I did five days a week, which usually presented zero opportunities for this? Like, I literally would walk from the gym home every single day for like, uh, like maybe like five to six days a week. I did this all the time to the gym and back. And I never even found somebody to try to talk to. And here I am on the first day of my fast. And I get two in 15 minutes. I know you fucking lying. Come to think of it, the only other time that happens to me, leaving the gym, was that other time when that dude tried to give me the eye, you know, outside the gym and give me head in the park. And if you think about it, that also happened in a time when I was purposely trying not to fuck out of respect for God sparing me. So it's like, this shit only happens like this. And the two times in my entire life when I'm purposely trying not to donate dick. So that's one. And, you know, two, you know, at that point, it's like, mm, you know, who sent you? And I knew who sent Because, you know, I don't believe in coincidences. So that's one. And two, in doing this fast, you know, I made a commitment to God where I set these things aside for that week. Like, you know, test me. God could test me, sure. But if any of these niggas really were for me, he wouldn't have sent them in this time. So I knew what the fuck it was. I knew what time it was. Like, I knew that was the enemy trying it. And, you know, even though I didn't give in and set up time to, you know, fuck or nothing like that, I still felt like I failed because I had entertained it. So I realized that my fast couldn't just be no nutting. That wasn't the distraction. It had to be no niggas too. Blinders to these hoes. You know, for the week anyway. So the next day, you know, Tuesday, I restarted day one and it went fine. Cool. But the day after, Wednesday, I had a series of three dreams in the morning. Um, the first one, it was this really weird dream. I was like on a trip to Brazil with a bunch of people from high school. And, you know, it was weird. But anyway, we the whole point, there was like an Airbnb and it was inside this apartment building. We were up on a higher level. The hallways were like balcony hallways. So it was like exposed. And the larger group had split up. There were some people out in, you know, in the apartment or whatever. But... They had left the door wide ass open and they out here, you know, being hella American. Anybody that, you know, any of y'all ever travel, like everybody knows when you're traveling, when you're American, because you're just loud, obnoxious and you got no you know, home training. But everybody was just being hella loud, so obviously American in a place where like we were obviously foreigners and shit. And it was just like, yo, like y- y'all can't be like this. Like y'all can't just leave your door wide ass open like that. Like you're asking to get robbed. Um, So I go in, you know, I close the door. It has like this iron you know, door like they do in, in the islands and, you know, our countries and stuff like that. And then the the general wooden door behind it. Um, So I closed this door and I closed the iron one, but there was this tree that was like, remember the, the, the hallway was a balcony. So there's this tree that kind of was up there on that level and I ext- some branches extended. And I'm there like in front of the door, you know, whatever. And I could see through the bar. There's like this turtle in, in in one of the tree branches and I'm there laughing like telling people like hey yo look there's a turtle there's a turtle like when you ever seen a turtle on a tree <laughs> I was like hey yo what's a turtle and then suddenly like it wasn't a turtle it was in a it turned into like it had turned into an iguana and I'm like oh and then suddenly it wasn't an iguana anymore it had lost its legs and I realized it was a snake and it was like coming toward me so that was the end of that dream and then I had this other dream 
where it was like I um I was in a church and I was t- trying to tell my aunt about the previous dream. Like I was trying to tell her like hey, you know this happened da da da. Long story short, I'm here in the church, and it, I mean, it's like a Catholic church too. It's not like a church that I'd really ever like been to, other than maybe like I don't know, like tourism shit in other countries or whatever. But like, you know, and we're like in a doorway of the separate room that's off from like the main, like that main church, like you know, temple or whatever. And I'm trying to tell her this story, and this like old lady, this like old shriveled ass white lady dressed in all black, tries to come through, and like she like bumps me. And gets into the building, and and when she bumps me, she was just mad rude, and she's like, "Oh, y'all are talking shit about me." Da 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 da. da. And I'm like, "What the hell?" Like, wh-? and you know, she goes into the room, and she like turns around, so she's kind of like facing us, and she like kneels, and she's just there. And I'm, we got beef at this point. I'm like, you know, like, what are you talking about? Like, you're mad rude. I'm like calling her out or whatever. And she's like, oh, you're talking shit about me, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yo, lady, I don't even know you. Like, like, what's like, what's good with you? And, you know, my aunt at that point had been like, you know, but I think at this point it sounded like my grandmother's voice, like saying, you know, oh, hey, you know, in church we don't start drama, whatever, whatever. But I'm coming at her and she's telling me like, oh, you talking shit about me, you talking shit about me. And then I realized in that moment that I had been talking shit about her because in that moment it became so apparent to me that that was Satan, that that was the devil in my presence and the second I realized that, I start rebuking him in the name of Jesus. And, you know, she's there, hella scary, literally right in front of me. And I'm like praying against her and praying against her. And I had like, I felt like super weak. I just felt so powerless um, before her. And then I woke up. So obviously I wake up, I'm rebuking this in the name of Jesus. But I'm like, you know, I wasn't scared and awake in life, but I knew what that meant. Like I knew what type of time the enemy's on. Like I have found out that morning that it was Ash Wednesday. And honestly, I didn't even know what the hell Ash Wednesday was. Uh, like, growing up, it just felt like some Catholic-ass thing. But yeah, Ash Wednesday is the first day of Lent, which is a time when believers fast for a period of 40-some-odd days in observance of the 40 days that Jesus spent in the desert being tempted by Satan, who knew what Jesus' purpose and plan was for humanity and was uh, trying to get him off his path. Lent ends right before Easter Sunday, which celebrates Jesus' resurrection three days after having been crucified. So here I am trying to, you know, do something and be intentional and commitment to Christ. And first the devil sends distractions, but these hoes don't phase me. So then he tries to shake me by literally appearing in my dreams. And, you know, I rebuked it because he has no authority over me. But when I found out, when I found out that this was the first day of Lent, I was encouraged because I knew he was mad. He was trying it. He was pulling out all the stops and I wasn't having any of it. You know, I had idolized Bud, but I hadn't smoked in almost a month and a half. I had idolized sex and was getting ass thrown at me. But here I was, covering niggas like a bad toss in the <laughs> in the words of Onika Tanya Mirage. And, you know, that particular hold that he had over me was slipping. And there's nothing that makes Satan more mad than losing power and influence over a territory that he once claimed. So when I heard it was Ash Wednesday, I was like, oh, word? This what you want to do? Bet. Instead of a week fast, I'm going to do all of Lent. Take that, nigga. Like... <laughs> So that's how I did my first Lent. That day, of course, had to be that day. Somebody came on to me, OD at the gym. I, I wasn't even provoked. So at the Planet Fitness on 177th and Broadway, this is in the men's locker room. This is like one stall. It's like a private little room with a bench and a mirror that, you know, you can go into and change if you, you know, if you want to. But a lot of people use it to take pictures. So after my workout, I was in there and apparently I didn't lock it. 
But next thing you know, this dude walks in and I'm confused. So I'm just like trying to be like, oh, like I'm here. And like, so a few minutes before we had both been at the sinks washing our hands and I saw him. But for some reason, he interpreted that as like this whole like, I don't know, in his mind, he was like, oh, like, I want you, let's fuck this whole stare, which I absolutely did not give him. Um, like, even from my early example was like, if I wanted to fuck, like, I, I would approach you, like, you know. So anyway, he walks in eager as fuck, mad ready. And I'm just here like, what is, go- what is going on? Like, and when he realized I was not trying to fuck, that he had made a whole mistake, he was so embarrassed and dashed the fuck out of that room, like, gather his shit and left. So, he read the whole situation OD wrong. It was crazy. And, you know, that shit fell right into my lap. Like, old me really might have just gone through with it. Like, that shit could have been pretty lit. Like, locker room dome? Stop it. Um, but, nah, it, I definitely was not on that type of time. Um, clearly, Satan was working overtime because, you know, <laughs> I know you fucking lying. Uh, and, yeah, I was all set. So, from then on, you know, I just made sure to always lock the door. Because, <laughs> bruh. So yeah, anyway, I did Lent and, you know, it was very different because I had never done that before. Like, it's not at all what I was used to. You know, it's like me, like bold ass, nasty ass, horny ass me. Like, you know, I used to have this saying, I used to be like, listen, my top three favorite things in no particular order are eating, smoking and nutting. And if we were to add a fourth, it'd be sleeping. Like, that was my nature. So, yeah, truly, you know, I was working against the base of who I was and, you know, going against my flesh and that shit was not easy. Um, but I kept my blinders up. I minded my own fucking business. And I was so good at it, you know. I would go to the gym five to six times a week. I would do a Bible study with some brothers uh, weekly. I was, you know, going to church regularly and all that. And, you know, I was seeking God. I stayed prayed up. I tried to do my best. It was really a time of radical development. And it's not like suddenly I was holy and everything was smooth sailing from there. After those first dreams, when I made the decision to do Lent, I started experiencing what we call spiritual warfare. I started having these really evil dreams, these really just twisted nightmares in which I was doing fucked up things I had never even imagined. And a lot of them, Satan was trying to kill me. And it was wild. (laughs) And again, I knew he was mad. If Satan can't win you over outright, if he can't, you know, straight up win your devotion, he'll try to scare you or distract you from God. And he was mad that what used to work on me no longer did. You know, understanding what Satan wants you to do is really a good litmus test. It's a great way to determine exactly what you, you know, shouldn't be doing. But imagine him being rejected despite, you know, all this power. Actually following through and resisting is so damn disrespectful to him. Now, a week before Easter... Because, you know, Satan ain't just going to let it go. Like, that nigga always got, you know, tricks up his sleeve. But a week before Easter, my homegirl and her boyfriend came down from Boston. And, you know, we went out. And, you know, obviously, like, I'm still in my fast. Like, I'm still doing Lent. I thought if there was anything that was going to cause me to fall that night, because I was so good at keeping my blinders to these hoes. Like, I really was. Um, I, th- I thought if there was anything that was going to cause me to fall, it might have been smoking. Like, you know, I'm a little, if I'm a little lit, lit, you know, blah, next thing you know, I'm taking a you know, hit of the blunt and da 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 And it's not even that I couldn't smoke per se, but I just n- didn't want to open that door back, especially when I had been so dependent on it, you know. So I thought that if anything was going to be my downfall, it was going to be that. Well, we go out, we in, we in this um, little, we in this like bar or whatever, and people are dancing, da 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 it was this whole thing. And my friend's homegirl... Her um her homeboy was there 
And, you know, he was looking like a cute little thing. And, <laughs> and um, you know, I remember seeing that and being like, ooh, you know, good more. Like, what's really good? And nah, like, basically, um, he was dancing with this other dude, though. And, you know, at this point, we lit. And my homegirl whispers in my ear, oh, it looks like you got some competition. And that shit set me off like, you ever seen, um, uh, <laughs> you ever seen Back to the Future where, um, Marty McFly, if anybody calls him chicken, he like, it just like sets him up, like he goes off. What's wrong, McFly? Chicken? <laughs> what did you call me, Griff? Chicken! McFly! Nobody calls me. Chicken. Anytime they get called chicken, like, it just sets this whole thing, like, in their psyche, and then, like, they just can't take it. So, that's what that was like for me. Like, competition? Me? Against me? I know you fucking lying. So, from there, I just went into overdrive. I literally just grabbed that nigga, and I just, like, you know, next thing you know, I'm making out with him, and we doing the most, da 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 right? So, we, like, we on each other for the rest of the night at that place. After that spot, we leave, we go to somewhere else. We, you know, I'm we mad lit. We go to another spot. We like getting hookah and drinks and whatever. I don't know what it was, you know, whatever. Anyway, long story short, I ended up in the bathroom. It's a, sing- a single person bathroom, by the way. I ended up in the bathroom with him getting neck. Um, so I mind you, I'm <laughs> I'm really there getting dumb, and I'm like, nah, I shouldn't be doing this. And I'm like, ooh, but I'm. So, I, it was a lot. It was a really an internal conflict. I was doing the absolute most, but sure enough, I um I did that. And you know what's really funny too is one of <laughs> something that I had done purposely to try to prevent this from happening was like I just hadn't shaved in so long. Like I did, I'm not somebody that like shaved, but like you know I trim or whatever. But I hadn't done any kind of like maintenance at all in so long, thinking that it was gonna prevent anything from happening. But like truth be told, when you got it, when you got the juice, bitch, you got the juice. Like that shit don't even matter. And when you're gonna hoe, like you gonna hoe. So yeah, I just I remember um. You know, we got home at like 5.30 in the morning. Like my homegirl told me, like I was, I I was out. My homegirl told me like that I just kept saying, like I was kind of like blacked out saying like, yo, I can't believe I did that. Da, 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 da. That morning, you know, I woke up at like, you know, a whatever to get up and go to church. I literally went to church in the same clothes that I had gone out in the night before. And, you know, I just felt it was just so much shame because it was like, really, bro, like you literally like, again, you made this promise to God, like your creator, your faithful provider who like does everything for you. And you couldn't even keep it in your pants for one extra week. Like you really just couldn't hold off. You just had to get that nut, had to do the most. And, you know, and I wasn't sober. And the thing is, it's not even like this person just like threw it at me per se. Like I was pursuing it too. Like it was definitely my fault. Um, so I have fucked up and it was just like really nigga. And it, it just also coincides with a lot of like the stories of like, you know, my, you know, family and like previous generations, like my father was a ho-ho or, you know, or is, or I, you know, I don't even really know. Um, that's a whole thing. But like his father was a ho too. He, my dad was like one of 23 kids. And so it's like, here I am being, you know, a ho-ho and it's just like, damn bro, like, you know, I just, like, I just need no parts in any of that, you know, because, you know, all that hoedom <laughs> in those two previous generations it just caused so much pain and brokenness within my family. And not I'm not saying I'm out here, like, cheating on people or nothing, but it's just, like, you know, that's just some, that's just shit I didn't need to be on. It was just, like, I really just felt like absolute trash. So, anyway, after the sermon, this is, like, um thing that you can do where you can go and get prayer, and this, this 
lady, like this like woman, this young woman prayed for me and she just did this most anointed prayer for me because I just like, I bawled my eyes out. Like I truly wept. It was like, whereas before, which is so funny because it's just so indicative of the, of the transformation because, you know, whereas before this would have been something that I would have been hella proud of. Like, oh yeah, that's me. Like, you know, I got dome in the bathroom at the hookah lounge, like whatever, whatever. Here I am OD weeping about it. Like I'm really crying about getting a nut. Like that don't even sound like me. <laughs> But, you know, I, w- I wept, truly. Like, I really just felt terribly. And, um, you know, homegirl did this anointed-ass prayer for me. And I truly just felt the grace of God. Like, I had to remember, you know, God is not here to condemn you. He's here to convict you. Like, you know, he'll make you feel some type of way about the shit that you do. But it's not like it's over. It's not like you're, you're trash and that's it. And you can't do anything else after that. And you've just failed completely. It's like, nah, it's like, okay, cool. Yeah, now get up. Don't do it again. Like, you know, do better next time. So, yeah, I just, I felt so much better after that. And, yeah. So, I kept it going. Next week was Easter. After that, I really just decided to keep, you know, keep it going and just be abstinent to the, you know, just, like, try to remain, you know, celibate. And it's really just because, and mind you, this is crazy. Like, I had never even, like, just... Just even two months before, I had never imagined I was going to be somebody that was going to, like, try to be celibate. Like, I was just so about my nut. Like, I, like, like, you know, I was definitely about Christ at that point. Yeah, I was very about, you know, um, serving the Lord. But I just didn't see celibacy as, like, something that I needed to do or that, you know, I was going to do. Like, just for what? You know, like, a lot of people, including me, like, I've, I viewed it before as a restriction, Like, I really viewed abstinence as a restriction, but I began to view it as a protection. Like, it's like deciding who you let into your space and who you give your energy to. It's a a boundary is what it is. And, um, you know, before when I didn't have that boundary, I, I just had a lot of my time and energy wasted. And it just served to be a distraction from both God and from my purpose. And, um, you know, it's like, you know, being sexually and not even just being sexually active but also even just talking to niggas like it was just it just brought so much bullshit like you know there were people who wasted my time or who didn't have the best intentions for me and didn't know how to act right but most times my problem wasn't that most times my problem was that they would end up being this like lust that was just so strong that like it would become an obsession and if i didn't feel the same way like them like whoever it was i was fucking around with it was obviously a problem like there was this one dude for example i fucked him the first time i met him in person and you know right after we fuck he's like so what are we and i was like oh like bruh like what do you mean (laughs) like what do you mean you know um that dude that i was fucking around with in dr when i went to february last year right after i quit he was doing the most. Long story short, I deaded that. Well, why March of this year, dude was trying to connect with me on WhatsApp and I had blocked him on IG. So he was DMing me from like all these different accounts. Mind you, like, yeah, we had crazy chemistry, but we had only linked up twice and that was a whole year before. Bruh. And then he tried it again in October. Also, like at the end of last year, I hung out with an ex from like four years ago and it was supposed to be on some chill shit. But it borderline, it reignited some things that had no business being reignited. And then, like, one day I get a DM talking about, oh, I don't know what voodoo you did on me, but I can't stop thinking about you. And it's like, bruh. Like, first of all, don't accuse me of voodoo, brujeria, or any kind of that witch. Like, I don't fuck with none of that. But secondly, it's like, it's like that infamous Kanye tweet from, like, 10 years ago where he's like, I hate when I'm on a flight and wake up with a water bottle next to me. Like, oh, great. Now I got to be responsible for this water bottle. Each time it happens, it's like, oh, fuck. Now I got to be responsible for this person's feelings or this person's reaction. And I don't want to cause them any kind of like disappointment 
But if I don't feel it within me to reciprocate, then I'm not going to. So I had to realize that other people's fascination or obsession with me, while it's their problem, it was at least partly my fault in that they couldn't have gotten there if I hadn't personally engaged on a sexual level. And I realized that regardless of whether or not it was for all that, the responsibility of creating and maintaining my peace by setting, defending, and respecting my own boundaries was on me. And those boundaries could also be a protection for them. Now, that's not to say I didn't mess up. I definitely had my moments of weakness. <laughs> but I haven't had sex with anybody in 2020, which is wild because pre-COVID, you know, them Boston Sports Club saunas, chow. Yo, them saunas... <laughs> Yo, them Boston Sports Consultants will go 0 to 100 real quick. One second you're in there chilling, the next you're in a live-action Pornhub ducking shooters like it's the Matrix, and... <laughs> it's like... Oh, is that my kill? Because I gotta go. So yeah, just to recap for you guys, this is a time of radical transformation. Horny-ass me was turning niggas down. Stoner-ass me was no longer smoking. By the time I left my job, I was at my highest weight ever, and here I was going to the gym five to six times a week. I lost 12 pounds, put on mad muscle. I was looking mad fucking cute. <laughs> um, I was doing my thing on my Bible study shit, prayed up, going to church. I was still in the job market, but, you know, also taking time for myself just to rest and recharge because my last job had been so draining. So let me tell you guys how this podcast came to be because truly, you know, there was definitely divine intervention. There was a lot going on. Um... So I told you guys before about how, you know, I'd always want to do something creative, you know, whatever. People were always telling me, you know, you should do YouTube videos, you should do something, da 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 Okay, cool. Well, um, when I quit, I had said that I wanted to do something creative, and I definitely did. Um, I just, you know, didn't know exactly what yet. There was one day in April, that April 2019, when I was like, I had like on a Saturday morning, I got breakfast with some bros. Um, from church and we like you know it was a, it was a, maybe like five of us or something we went to this um diner in um lower harlem like uh near um near upper west side and we're there sitting in this corner table this big old corner table and there's this like one table in our section that's like right next to me um and it's just like a, a solo table like just for like you know one or two people and there was this lady sitting there and, you know, me and the bros, like, we're, we're just, you know, talking about different things and, you know, discussing stuff, whatever, whatever. And the lady next to us just kind of looks over and she's like, you guys, I don't remember what exactly it was that she said, but she was just like, you guys are a TV show. And we're like, what? And she's like, you know, like, this is, you know, you guys are like, like the discussions that you guys are having right now. Like, this is like, this is a production. Like, I just want to let, I don't even know. How, like, it was just so crazy. We just started talking and she's just like letting us know that um, this very much was already like, I don't know. I, listen, it just turned into this whole conversation about like gifts and using them and how what exactly what we were doing. Like, people already do that type of shit. And it was like, you know this is already a convert like the conversation that we already having like it's already a production like you know all you need is a camera and you know somebody to do the edits and whatever and like this could be a youtube show like you know the five of us guys just you know with different perspectives different backgrounds whatever just discussing these things and so we're talking and i don't know she just kind of like we we continued our conversation but there were a few times where she kind of like butted in but I mean, we didn't mind because she was you know she was cool people and she was really just adding to the conversation. And um, 
she just started like prophesying. It was just like, like my um, the homeboy next to me said something and she randomly just jumped in and she's like, that's the name of the, your book. And she, she's like, what? She's like, that's the name of the book you're going to write. And she had no way of knowing that he was a writer. Like he, you know, he's a rapper. He enjoys writing. You know, he's wanted to do something like this, but like she just had no way of knowing that. And she's like, she like started kind of like prophesying. It was just weird. And she's like encouraging him and telling him, you know, you don't even have to have like the the whole book written out. You know, you, know, you just need to go with an idea and, and a proposal and whatever, whatever. And, you know, I know I worked at this agency, so I um, knew a little bit about the process. And, you know, there's a literature department that we had. And so, I don't know, I'm talking and she's like, where did you used to work at? And I told her and she was like, you know, that was for a reason, right? And I'm like, oh, I'm hip. And I don't know. She just came through with so much, um, and she was a believer. So the whole thing was crazy. This woman, uh, her name is actually, I I just found it. Um, Her name is LaShonda Catrice Barnett. She had written this book called Jame on the Vine. The audio version was read by Felicia Rashad. So huge name. And uh, she was teaching at UMass Amherst at the moment. And yeah, so she just like came through and just prophesied some big shit. And we, I don't know, like the guys and I, like we left that breakfast, like super encouraged. We just had this whole great conversation about like your gifts and like being courageous and like doing the damn thing and like using your gifts because you're giving them for a reason. And if you don't use them to bring whatever it is that you need to bring to the world, like God will give it to somebody else. Like God will use somebody else as a vehicle if you're going to go ahead and, you know, lay it to waste. So... I left feeling hella encouraged. I was like, I don't know about these niggas, but I know I need to do something. <laughs> so like I had been had that on my heart. I had been had that on my mind. So I went downtown because I was going to meet up with a, fr- a friend of mine. And I go downtown and I get off the train and I walk. I see this, you know, this like big gay ice cream shop. That sounds just like me. So I went in. The signs were mad confusing. So I walked out. But when I walked out, there was this big ass orange sign, this big ass like cardboard bright orange sign up on a on a pole and it was pretty high up but like it said fulfill your calling and I was like what the fuck (laughs) it was just so random like it wasn't like a real New York sign like it was just a random ass sign somebody had made and had put there and I'm like for me to just turn around and see that that's random but you know anybody was was walking by would have seen this sign like but just for me having seen that right after you know this lady's talking about using your gifts and do you know how it's you know just do the damn thing and you know all this all, all this conversation that we had I'm like okay this is a lot so I'm walking down the street and I was like god you know you're doing a lot right now but can you confirm to me that this is what this is about? Like, can you confirm to me that this has something to do with me and what I need to be doing and da 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 Like, just confirm it to me, Lord. Why am I walking? Like, 12 minutes later, I only know by the timestamps on um the things because I took pictures of this stuff, obviously. Like, I took pictures. Um, why 12 minutes later I come across, which, by the way, the number 12 is biblical. Um, It's it's uh, important in scripture. Why, why I'm walking down the street and I see this fucking dove. It was like a dove in between two pigeons and... A dove is another spiritual sign. Um, it's it's another... Uh, dove has significance in scripture as well. And I was just like, bruh. Like, what are the odds that I'm seeing a fucking dove in New York City? Like, New York City, you know, you already know. It's like full of pigeons, like OD. What the hell am I... What What is this dove doing that I'm coming across it right now? Like, I was just like, okay, God, like, copy. Like, I heard you, right? So I knew... I felt like that was confirmation enough. I knew that I needed to be doing something. I knew that the Lord was with me in some way for my creativity. I know that he's given me gifts and that I have 
you know, this potential that I just haven't put to use yet and that it's about that time. So in the weeks that followed, I was trying to come up with what I what it was that I was going to do, how I was going to do it, what my idea was, what my format, you know, eventually I decided on a podcast. So I you know, floated that idea to, to a few people. It's funny looking back because um, I keep all receipts, but it's funny looking back um, at conversations that I had, you know, by text saying, hey, you know, I think I want to do this podcast, like whatever. This is my idea. It's so funny looking back. But yeah, anyway, so fast forward to... You know, I'm over here trying to figure out how it works, like who I could work with, you know, how I could get studio time because I didn't have a microphone. I also didn't know anything about, you know, sound editing. And I just it was just beyond me. Fast forward to July. Why one day I'm at church and I get this text from this dude, Connor, who I went to college with. And like Connor and I were cool. We had like mutual friends and stuff. He was really cool people. But he texted me something and it like didn't come through like it was a picture and you know when it's like when you're somewhere where, you, where there's like bad service it says like tap to download well i tapped it and like nothing ever downloaded so i just you know i was like oh maybe later when i get out of church like i'll just have better service and i'll be able to get it completely forgot about it a few days later i get this facebook notification that someone else named connor um also from college <laughs> someone else named connor had like posted on some like dc um, housing Facebook group that I didn't even know I was part of. Like, I I don't even know why. I had never lived in D.C. Like, I just, I don't know. I forgot all about that group. And so this guy had posted. For some reason, I had got a notification for it. And I'm like, what the fuck am I getting a notification for? And then I was like, oh, shit, Connor. So I remembered from that, like, because of that, I remembered to get back to the first Connor. So I go ahead and text him one day, and I'm like, hey, what's up? I was like, my bad, you know, whatever, whatever. This is what happened. I was like, what was it that you sent me? And he goes, oh, I saw a Betances jersey and I sent you a picture. So if you're in a baseball, you know, there's a, a player named Delin Betances, same last name as me, who used to play for the Yankees. Now he plays for the Mets. So, yeah, Connor had seen the jersey, thought of me and took a picture and sent it to me. And yeah, so he, so now here we are having a conversation. So we're talking and I'm like, you know, he's like, oh, what are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. I ask him what he's doing. He's, you know, an audio engineer. I'm asking what kind of stuff he's working on. And he's like, you know, I'm trying to get into podcasts. I was like, er? I was like, oh, and I'm like, what about podcasts? He's like, you know, like recording, producing them, etc. I was like, nigga. Shut up. I was like, you don't say. So I told him, I was like, listen, I'm trying to do a podcast. Like, da-da-da-da-da. And so he's like, oh, okay, cool. Like, let's set up a time um, and talk about it. So we set up a time. We talked about the idea. Um, He liked it. And literally within two weeks, I was at his homie's studio, like, recording them. And he edited it. And boom, we put the first one out. Like, it really just happened all that fast. Like, it happened just like that. Like, it was crazy. That was, like, the push that I needed was, like, it's just, like, for that, like, take a moment. What are the odds that he sees, like, again, we were cool, but, like, we didn't really talk like that. Like, what are the odds that he sees a jersey with my name on it, thinks of me, you know, hits me up, and I forget to hit him up. So I get a random notification that I have literally nothing to do with nothing that remi- by somebody else with his name that reminds me to hit him up. And when we start talking, turns out that not only does he work on audio, but he's trying to get into podcasts. Bro. Like, it's just like, I don't believe in coincidence. Like, that, that shit is just is too much. I don't believe in that shit. So, 
we're talking on the phone and whatever, and I'm, you know, I'm broke. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't have a job. I am broke as fuck. It was by the grace of God that I was able to pay my, my first three, you know, three months rent after. Um, and that's another thing. That was God. The way I paid my rent after I quit, I had saved up one month's rent. So, like, when I quit, I had my February rent ready. Then my March rent was paid by my tax return. And my April rent was paid because I got a check from my job because I never took vacation time. So I had like 95 hours of unused time and that paid my that paid my rent. Uh, after that, I had like, I think it was like three months or so that I had to get help from my mom. Praise God, like God bless her. You know, she's since recouped that. Even how I managed my expenses was crazy. Like I had no income, not even unemployment. I hadn't applied because I quit. So I was gonna have to put everything on my cards. Now, one was an Amex and it was a charge card, meaning that I have to pay off the whole balance uh, every cycle or face crazy penalties. And the other was a city credit card with a high interest rate. Now, I didn't have any cash. So either way, I was gonna be fucked no matter which one I used. Tell me why at that time, Citibank randomly started sending me offers for 0% APR for an entire year on balance transfers from another card. And now, mind you, this was my first credit card. I had it for six years at that point. I never received a balance transfer offer, not to mention one that had 0% interest for a whole year. And now I was just, I was suddenly able to charge my Amex, get my entire bill paid off by city for a super low fee, wouldn't even have to pay city back for another year or accrue interest or get any fees while I was working on getting back on my feet. And this wasn't even a one-time thing. Month after month, they kept sending me more and more balance transfer offers. Now, those can really be a trap if you're not careful, but they're also a great financial tool. And I was like, yo, God, you are wilding right now. Thank you. Because by the grace of God, it was that I was able to pay my rent and expenses. I, I was straight up. I was like, listen, by the way, I don't have a budget. Like, I really don't have a real budget. And he was like, nah, it's cool. I'll do it for free. I was like, ah! You the real MVP. Like, that's another, like, yo, like, it was just like, hand it, like, the Lord just handed, handed it to me on a platter. And, you know, now that I do have a job, you know, in my, my, now with my current situation, like, I pay, I gladly pay, and I gladly pay the rate that he asked for. Um, But it was just like, at the time, I could not do that. So the fact that he could come through like that, and it was just such a huge blessing. Like, I don't think Connor knows, Connor's listening to this right now while he's editing. I don't think Connor knows what a blessing he's been. (laughs) <laughs> and that he literally was a godsend. So, yeah, I, you know, recorded the first episode, was editing it back at Football Connor, and we put it up, and it was such a success in how many people listened to it. Like, I just didn't imagine that it was going to be like that. Like, how many people listened to it? How many people shared it? Like, I really fuck with y'all. Thank you so much. It was like a dream come true. It's like, I, me having the audacity to do something, you know what I'm saying? Like, sometimes you'll do something and people will look at you like, oh, like, who do they think they are to be trying that shit? Like, bitch, I'm me. Bitch, I'm me. I'm me. That's who the fuck I am. And I believe in myself and God believes in me. So how can I not? So, yeah, it was just like, I had so much fun making it. You guys really received it well. And it just inspired me to keep going. So, you know, I made episodes two and... Um, I had episode three. Now, the reason I had stopped after episode four is because in this time, you know, I was still on the job hunt. And one day I see my homegirl post on Facebook and she's like, ask me how I became a software engineer. 
And I'm like, you know, I'm still over here interviewing for all these industry jobs. Like I was, you know, interviewing for some pretty good ones. I even got job offers, but I was not about to go to L.A. and be nobody's bitch ass assistant. Um, like not even like for a good like if I'm going to be an assistant, bitch, it, it better have been a good like a good executive, like a real boss. Like I don't want to be working in some stupid ass apartment, you know, whatever. Anyway, so I'm like, you know what? Let me just ask what's up. I, I want I'm curious. So I asked my homegirl. And she told me that she had done a program called Resilient Coders, which trains people of color in Boston for high paying, high growth careers in tech, specifically as software engineers. Not only that, but they get paid. Like there's a small stipend. It's not a whole hell of a lot, but you know, it's nice to make sure you don't die because realistically you could not work during this program. Like it's just, it's, it's essentially a boot camp uh, and it's very intense. It will take up all of your time. There's just no way that you can sustain an actual job during it. But uh, it's absolutely free. Mind you, most coding boot camps in Boston were running like $17,000, $18,000 in the first place. So that's the thing, is not only is it free, they also give you a little something so you don't die. You know, and within three, three and a half months, you basically end up with a job as a software engineer making six figures and if not, close to it. So I was like, you know, I had obviously a lot of questions. I went ahead and I asked, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, they were going to be having a recruiting event soon. And I was like, you know what? What the hell? Like, I really have nothing to lose. I may as well do it. Like, you know, six figures, bitch. Like, here I was making next to nothing, you know. And, you know, I, you know, I was skeptical. I'm like, you know, do I need to know math? Like, I don't have any background in this. You really did not need any experience in, like, tech or science or anything like that to do this, which... I thought was, you know, fucking crazy. You know, I had been interested in tech before, but I really didn't see a future for myself in tech past like my retail experience at the Genius Bar at Apple just because I didn't have that kind of training. I didn't have technical training. I didn't go to school for computer science or anything like that. I went to school for communications, bitch. So, you know, I go and I do this recruiting event, this hackathon, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, cool. Actually, um, that day after the hackathon, I, I got a phone call from Sylvia Rohn's team. She's the CEO of Epic Records, you know, like you know, Future and DJ Khaled and 21 Savage and all of them. And like, you know, it was to interview to be on her team. And I have no idea who even submitted me for that role. But that was really cool. But ultimately, like, to be honest, that was a distraction more than anything else. I felt that this software thing was really what it was going to be. And sure enough, I made it to the next round. But when it came time for my interview, like there was no link to a video. There was no number for a phone call. Like I wasn't, nobody reached out to me. I was just confused. So I'm like, I call the office number. I send um, some emails, like, you know, left a message, nothing. Didn't, you know, nobody got back to me. So I'm like, you know, I followed up, I think one more time. And I'm like, yo, I really was feeling some type of way. I'm like, yo, like y'all really just, I don't understand. One morning I woke up, it was on a Thursday and I woke up and I was like, you know what? Let me do this one more time. I'm gonna reach out. So I reached out. I had like the most professional email with like screenshots of how like there was literally no possible way that I could have connected with any of them because there was no information. Um, <laughs> somebody got back to me that they're like, today's actually the last day where they were doing interviews. Do you have time at this hour? I was like, yeah, sure. Um, and yeah, we connected later on that day, did my interview, whatever. Next day they hit me up like, okay, you're in. So praise God. The reason I'm even mentioning this interview process is, you know, I had that feeling that I should reach out once more and had I not done that, I would not be here right now. 
Like, had I gotten in my feelings and I said, fuck it and kept it pushing, that would have been the end of that. And you know what? The team isn't even like that. They're so on top of things, but they're dropping the ball on me and this lack of communication on their end really just provided an opportunity for me to flex and to be persistent and honestly, thank God, because spaces are so limited and a mission is very competitive. But look, he made a space for me. So that's why I moved back to Boston from um, from New York. And I went in, when I went to Boston for this program, I was telling my homegirl, I was telling everybody, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna still be doing this podcast. Like, you know, that I, and, and you know, I, <laughs> I was like, God can do all things. So I'm gonna be able to do this podcast and the boot camp. It's nothing. And my homegirl's like, yeah, okay, nigga. <laughs> and sure enough, when I first started the first week, I was like, and I had to put this shit on pause, bitch, because that shit was just impossible. impossible. The way the bootcamp work, basically, it's like every day you have class Monday through Friday from 10 to 3. And then after then, you're just working on all your assignments and you're literally learning as you go. But at the end of the week, you have all your like all these assignments to turn in. And um not only that, but at the end of every three weeks, there was something that we called a cliff. And it's called a cliff because like Imagine like, this is Sparta! Dude gets thrown into the hole. It's like that. Like at the end of three weeks, like they kick you off the cliff if you're not like meeting expectations. And it's just like, bruh. So this shit was mad competitive. It was very difficult because you're literally learning just, again, it's a boot camp. You're learning super fast um, and you, you have all this. It's just, it was a lot, bruh. <laughs> I literally lived in the, um, we had 24-7 access to the office space where we were at. I literally like lived there. Like... <laughs> I spent every waking moment there. It was so much. And it was, um, you know, it was just a lot. We lost, let me see, we started as 22. We lost from my cohort. We lost like five people within the first two weeks. Like, they didn't even make it to the clip. They clipped themselves. And, you know, because that's just how much pressure it was and how much work. Mind you, you know, the few weeks after that, looking back at the work that we had been doing, we were like, damn, like they really clipped themselves off of that. Like it wasn't even that deep. Um, because by that point, like we had just learned so much more that what we had learned previously, it was nothing. But um, yeah, man, it was just very demanding, very difficult. But the good thing about it too was that there was so much help. Like there was so much support. Like truly, you know, we would have community hours on Tuesdays and Thursdays and people from the community uh, would come in and help us out with our projects and our homework and things like I'm talking like uh, uh, I'm talking engineers from Google and HubSpot and just all the tech companies in the surrounding area in Boston and Cambridge would come through to help us out. And that was super clutch. And we also had alumni um, from the program who had done cohorts before us who would come through to help us out. So truly is just like a great environment. And these are all people of color except the mentors, all staff also. But yeah, the mentors are, um, you know, just people who are trying to help out and help increase, you know, not just diversity, but equity within tech in the city of Boston. So yeah, it was, um, it was very difficult. It was a struggle like week after week. It was just like, oh my gosh, but I, I happen to make it through. Now, there was, toward the end of the program, I mean, this is three and a half months, toward the end of the program, there was this one cliff that like 80-something percent of us weren't cliffed, but we were placed on a conditional, meaning that if we did not meet the expectations for the following week and not only do that week's work, but also do whatever else was asked of us from the week prior, um, if we didn't meet those expectations, we would be cliffed. Can you imagine 80-something percent of your fucking cohort being placed on a conditional. 
bitch. We was shook. Like, we was all going through it. We were all mad. And especially that that many of us, like, clearly there was something wrong in the messaging there for that week. But anyway, we, we were just all going through it. We were going through it. Now, one of the people that did not get placed on a conditional, his name also was Anthony. He actually wrote the best code in the entire cohort. So he got what our professor called, our tech lead called, an auto pass. Meaning that, you know, he had just done so well that when it came time to his final interview, he just, no matter what he did, like, he passed. Like, he was going to do it, obviously, because he needed to practice because practicing interviews is, is good, especially when you're trying to get a job. But when it came to the final interview for the actual program and passing the program, there was no way that he couldn't pass. He had just done so well. He had, you know, beyond proven himself. So he got an auto pass. Meanwhile, you know, the vast majority of us are all just struggling. And so we're there. We didn't know what the hell was going on. I remember the the Tuesday of that week, I was feeling like shit. And I don't even know. But my mom texted me. She sent me a message that a friend of hers from church, like a church elder, called her and asked about me and was like, how's he doing? My mom, you know, kind of told her what was going on with this conditional and da 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 And she said that this lady, like, just started praying and just started, like, praying with this fervor. She was like, I was scared. <laughs> but that this, she started praying with this fervor for me. And she said that the Lord said Psalm 121, that every day when I go... Before I leave, to read Psalm 121 out loud, because that's the word the Lord has for me. And I went ahead and I looked up Psalm 21, and it starts like this. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches you over you will not slumber. It was just like this whole thing. I was just like, yo, when I tell you, immediately just overcome with the goosebumps, overcome with the spirit. I went and I like, I wept. Because I was like, hey, yo, you know what it is when you're feeling like shit and the Lord makes time for you? Of all the things going on in the world, all the problems going on, all the people that there are to take care of, you made time for me? For little old me? Little ass ain't shit me? Yo, it just is like, it really is a different type of encouragement. So listen, so here we are on this conditional. I'm feeling like shit. I don't know how we're going to pull through. Thank God we somehow do, right? But I'm still like, I had a lot of shit to do. You know, I had this final project that I had to create that was going to get seen at Demo Day by so many companies and so many recruiters. I had, at the same time, a list of 22 behavioral questions to go through, um, to practice, and 150, 150 technical interview questions to study and practice, a lot of which we didn't even cover in class, so it was like external shit. And I was going to be tested on these by the tech lead And that was going to determine whether or not I was going to pass. I also had to practice whiteboarding, which is literally doing um, JavaScript problems out on a board. So not on a computer, which is completely different. And on top of all of this, I had to still be doing our regular weekly assignments. It was just like, I was like, Lord, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to do this. Like, I don't know how I'm going to make it. (laughs) I was like, God, save me. Because I really did not know how I was going to manage and do all of this. Well, let me tell you something. There was one cleaning lady who I hadn't seen her in some weeks. So one day I'm here, I'm working in a conference room and I see her and I'm like, hey, how are you? Whatever, you know, what's going on? Where have you been? And she let me know that she had surgery on her gallbladder. So she was out for some time. But here we were on the week of Thanksgiving and there was nobody to cover her. So she had to work. And it's just like, wow, you know, it just was very unfortunate. Um... It's really fucked up is what it is. Part of her work was to vacuum. And the vacuum is the type that like, you put it on your back, like a backpack. So here this older woman, 
who really shouldn't have been carrying anything is having to put this on her back and vacuum. And I was like, I told her, I was like, uh-uh, hold on, wait a minute. So she had told, you know, so she had told me, you know, she was struggling because she was, you know, even getting down to pick up the trash was one thing, but that vacuum, she knew it was going to, you know, it was going to kill her. And I told her, hold on, wait a minute. I was like, do what you got to do. When it comes time for you to vacuum, come find me. Like, you know, realistically, I didn't have time, but like, you know what? I was going to make time for that because there's no way this woman was really about to like, like she was about to kill herself. Like, nah, like, I could do that. Like, it, it's nothing, right? So I told her, I was like, listen, come find me when it comes to time. Okay, cool. While later on, I hear the vacuum in the distance. I, re- I came out that door and I went and found her and I was like, girl, what did I tell you? Like, what did we talk about? Like, don't play with me. <laughs> I'm like, she's like, oh, I'm almost done. I'm like, all right, bet. Well, you know what? Tomorrow, here, have my number. Tomorrow, when the time comes, you let me know. I'm going to be here. You let me know. Okay, cool. So the next day, I was there and I was just waiting because I knew she wasn't going to tell me nothing. I'm like, all right, let me let me see. You know, the second that I seen her with the vacuum, I popped up on her. I was like, hey, OK, cool. There we go. Fantastic. I went ahead. I put that bitch on my back and I was like, let's start. Let's get started. So I helped her. Um, you know, she kind of like just told me where to vacuum or whatever, whatever. So I did the whole 17th floor with her. And then she told me she had to do some parts of the 18th, but like not that much. Cause the like, people really haven't been there. Um, whatever, whatever. I was like, whatever. Like we went up there, added the 18th floor too. And you know, this time it was like later at night and people were still in the office. So a few people saw me and I don't know. Some of the people were just like, like, what are you doing, bro? Like what's going on? I was like, whatever, like blinders. So yeah, I did the 17th and the 18th and that was that. Right. And you know, she thanked me, obviously, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, that, you know, she asked me if I was going to be there um, uh, the day after Thanksgiving and I told her, yeah, because I was going to have to be doing some work. So she brought me some food. It was great. You know, it was just like, I didn't even think anything of it. I, I really, like, I really didn't, I didn't think anything of it. I'm going to just leave it at that. Tell me why the following week, the week after Thanksgiving, there was a day where I was supposed to be meeting up with our tech lead with the professor um, to discuss like my final project and you know where I was at with it and like what was going on and we actually had like a little tip earlier like there was some you know just for context there was like some tension there because you know we we kind of had a little back and forth over something that like really um, I, didn't, I felt some type of way about it was like you know, we were so, he was so stringent about time. Like the first day of class, like the whole first day of the whole program, two people got there a few minutes late and like they were sent home. And you could only have like three absences, like two or three, I think it was like two absences. I don't remember. Um, and the whole program where you would be cliffed, like you'd be kicked out. So anyway, he spent the entire day that we were just waiting for him and he never came. I, you know, there was something else going on. Well, I didn't know, but like, I felt some type of way because I'm just like, why are we held to a different standard? Da, da, da. So I expressed that because I was not about to not say anything. And of course, everybody else was quiet except for like one one person. Everybody was talking mash. Everybody was talking big shit before he got there. But then as soon as he got there, nobody said nothing. And I'm like, uh-uh, we gonna talk. So there was this like little tension, right? So just for context. So there I am later on, I have this meeting with him and um, it's in the classroom. Now, the way the classroom is set up it's not exactly a corner room, but it like is right next to what would be the corner room, right? So what that means is in the hallway, the way the hallway is set up, like the way the room is set up, I have my meeting with him at his desk 
at the deepest part of the room in the center. And from where we're sitting, you can see the corner. So if somebody comes from that from that one hallway and turns the corner, you can see them. But you can see them only through the line of sight of like this one door. Like, that's it. So I'm there and I'm talking with him and we're talking and whatever, whatever. And somehow, tell me how, at the precise moment, it's like 7.30 p.m., at the precise moment that I'm sitting with my tech lead next to him, at that precise moment, the lady um, who cleans, her name, by the way, is Evangelina, Evangelina, which comes from the Latin Evangelium, which means gospel. Gospel, which means good news. You know, it's a very biblical name. And that shit is not lost on me. But tell me how, at that exact moment that I was sitting right there, having this meeting with my tech lead, I could have had a meeting with him at any other given moment, any other given day. And this woman could have been at any other floor, at any other part of the floor even, cleaning and doing what she had to do. But at that exact moment where I'm sitting there, and she she happens to walk by that corner, I put my hand up to wave to her. My tech lead looks at me, sees my hand up, looks far at the other end of the room, through the door, sees her there, looks at me, looks back, and was like, did you vacuum here the other day? And I was like, what? Oh, that's what I forgot to mention, too. I vacuumed the classroom, too, which is fucking filthy. But I vacuumed our classroom, too, not just the um, the, the hallways and, and the stuff. So he was like, did you vacuum the other day? And I was like, uh... He was like, did you vacuum the other day? I was like, uh, he's like, did you or did you? I was like, yeah. He's like, congratulations, you passed. Nigga, what? I was I was like, what? He's like, I was so confused. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, congratulations, you passed. I'm like, what do you mean? He was like, did you or did you not help that woman vacuum the 17th floor and then go upstairs and help, help her do the 18th floor as well? I was like, what? He's like, congratulations, you passed. I was like, what the fuck? I was shook. I was like, I just... <laughs> I was like, what? I was like, I need to go. I literally, I, I walked out that room, I went to the bathroom, and then I was like, what the fuck just happened? Like, what? what? Like, what just happened? And I went back. I was just like, I don't understand. Like, how did you... He's like, don't worry about it. He's like, when I found out that somebody from our cohort had helped her in that way, I said that whoever it was, when I found out, I was going to pass them. You know why? He goes, he looks to me, he goes, I care about two things with this program. One, that you can code, and two, that you reach back and help other people. Clearly, you've demonstrated that. I was like, oh my God. Wow. Yo. Yo, when I tell you I was overcome with joy, I was just so like, so basically what that meant was I got an auto pass. And whereas the other Anthony got an auto pass for his code, I got an auto pass for being like, for, for just being me. Like for doing something that I, like I didn't even like second guess. I didn't even like think that this was any, I didn't think any, like I said earlier, I didn't even think anything of it. I just did it because like, you know, how am I going to let this woman do, like, come on, you know? Yo, and this, like, it's just so crazy how in helping this woman, in blessing this woman, that in turn blessed me. Like, I was just, but listen, what are the fucking odds? What, again, what are the odds that at that exact moment, 
at that exact moment that I was sitting with him, talking with him there. She also happened to be within the line of sight of the fucking door, you know, uh, uh, the fucking door frame. Of all the floors that she could have been on, of all the areas, of all the parts of the different floors that she could have been on. I would, for all that to happen like that, I was like, that alignment, I know you fucking lying. Like, don't you ever in your fucking life try to convince me that wasn't God. Evangelina, yo, that I was like, yo, that shit was huge. I was so, I was so shook, but I couldn't tell anybody because I didn't want anybody to feel the type of way that I got an auto pass and I didn't get it off my code. I got it off of, you know, you know, charity and good deeds. So, um, you know, I went ahead. Actually, I see my, I saw my homegirl in, in, in a, in a conference room and I went and I closed the door. I was like, I got to tell you this because I had to tell somebody and you, know, I was just praising God. It was just such a miracle to me. It was just, you know. It was just a huge weight lifted off because I like I knew I was going to be all set, you know, and that whole I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Like, truly, my help came from the Lord, because how the fuck was I going to do everything that I had to do? It was just it was incredible. Now, listen, I couldn't tell. Like I said, I couldn't tell anybody because I didn't want anybody to look at me different or feel some type of way or, you know, blah, blah, blah. I obviously didn't do any of this thinking I had just no idea that there could have even been an auto pass for you know just doing this type of thing but either way with an auto pass or not I still needed to kill it when it came to my interview my my technical interview I still needed to kill it with my whiteboarding I still needed to kill it with my project because I didn't want to be looked at as a nigga who just passed just because I got passed you know I needed to be on my shit so now here we are finally in December Coming up on the two most important weeks of the boot camp, the one with the final interview and projects due for the program, and then the one following in which we'd have demo day. Now, like a week and a half earlier, right after the Lord gave me Psalm 121, he hit me with Deuteronomy 31.6, which is, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. This is said by Moses to Joshua before his death. Now, for those of you who don't know, Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and through most of the journey, but the Lord actually chose Joshua to succeed Moses and finish the job, to lead the people into the promised land, defeat their enemies, and claim their blessing. Now, this scripture was from the end of Deuteronomy, but it's really in preparation for the action that takes place in the next book, which is Joshua. I hadn't even looked at most of it before. But I felt it heavy on my spirit to read it. So I did a devotional on it. A devotional is like a daily scripture study where you read a portion each day. I came across a two-week devotional on it. Happened to fit perfectly into the final two weeks of my program. And y'all know I don't believe in coincidences. But anyway, after I started this devotional, I received Deuteronomy 31.6 again, which was confirmation for me that I needed to be looking into Joshua's story. And I found that, you know, being strong and courageous is the main theme throughout the entire book. And already in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, the very beginning of Joshua, um, that verse is nearly identical to Deuteronomy 31.6. The big difference here is that it's God himself telling Joshua to be strong and courageous, uh, not Moses. Now, this whole thing is really timely because there's an entire parallel between Joshua's experiences here and mine at that point. Here was God telling me he had just taken me through this wilderness, that I was approaching the promised land, the blessings he had for me, and... It was going to be a fight to claim it, but I needed to be strong and courageous because it was mine and he's with me. So I continued to study, continued to do my thing, and it was a lot, but, you know, I was working through it and the Lord was placing help where I needed it. And every day I was receiving encouragement from scripture and learning more about Joshua, who was a fucking badass. Yo, that, 
That nigga went in and defeated every fucking kingdom in every direction, destroyed whole conspiracies between the northern kings and then the southern kings, and whole time God was behind him, like, you know, with, with big Birdman energy from the end of We'll Be Fine. Your turn, nigga. Take care of business, nigga. Shine on these niggas. Get these niggas the business, nigga. Kill, spray, anything in the way, nigga. Fuck them, we don't love them. She was crazy, okay? Cinematic. <laughs> So when it came to the technical interview, it was like a good amount of us. The most of us stayed, like just stayed the night the, the, at the office. And we were just like studying together and just doing the absolute most. And yeah, then it was a day of the final interview. And that morning, it was like eight in the morning. I get a call from my grandmother and she calls me. And it was not even a hi, you know, how are you? Whatever, whatever. It was literally like I turned, like I picked up the call and she was just prophesying fervently. Like, it was no hello. She was just deep in prayer and she was, you know, she's just praying. And basically the Lord had presented me to her like three times that morning. And she was there to say that the Lord was with me, that he was fighting the battles, that, you know, there would be interviews that didn't go well. And surely enough, at that point, I had those. I had some of those and, they, you know, there would be interviews that did, would go well. But either way, my job was secured and my job was ready and the Lord was with me and to not be afraid. And just all of these, you know, all this, all this, all this stuff, you know what I'm saying? And like she had prophesied over my life before. Like, I just, I knew what it was. And immediately, like, I just felt this, the, the goose, I just felt the spirit on me. And I was like, I was just so ready. You know, obviously I'm nervous just because, you know, you know, God's with you just because, you know, the spirit is on you doesn't mean that you don't feel fear. It just means you got to go ahead and you got to execute regardless of it. So I'm there and I'm like, okay, cool. We about to kill this, et cetera, et cetera. Now, finally, when it times, uh, finally when it comes time for the class to start, it's gonna be you know the way the interview is gonna happen is it's going to be uh, one at a time in a separate room. So you know the professor he goes ahead and he puts everybody's name in a randomizer. And when my name came up, number seven, bitch, I knew because the number seven that's another one that's very important in scripture, the perfect number. I was like, that's God. What's good? Let's go. And yeah, so finally when it was my turn, I went in there. I did very well on my behavioral and um, technical questions. I went ahead to do the whiteboard. I was given the problem. I knew <laughs> I knew of two ways to solve it. One of them I um, you know wasn't as comfortable with, so I just like literally talked it through and said, you know, but I'm not really comfortable with that method, so I'm I would use this method instead and do it this way and da 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 to the point where I had talked it all the way through before even having to do it out. And he's like, yeah, okay, you're you're all set. You don't need to actually do it. You already literally told me you know <laughs> several ways how to do it. Like you're you're good. And then um, I showed him my. He was like, you know what? You don't even have to show me your project. We literally saw it yesterday. You showed it to me already. Like you're 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 good. And that was that. So like, I already knew just from that, that I had passed and I didn't get, you know, an official confirmation. Hey, you passed until later that night, but I already knew what it was. Like, I just, I already knew. So, so basically what passing that technical interview meant was that I was ready to be placed in front of hiring partners. So I was ready to present at demo day in which a lot of recruiters and a lot of company representatives would be present. It was a lot of, it was good for FaceTime. It was good for securing interviews, good for networking. It was just, you know, overall, that's what it was for. And so I was ready for that. That was all good. Now, on top of that, I ended up being in a select group that was recommended to a large tech company here in Boston to be interviewed for entry-level software engineering roles. So I ended up interviewing on a Monday. And you know what? When I tell you, like, absolutely, like, my words when I left were I absolutely slaughtered that interview. 
absolutely slaughtered it. Like I had just never done. It's crazy because again, this is not my my thing. Like this is this did not come naturally to me. This is not what I'm passionate about. This is not. But when I tell you that was the best interview I'd ever had in my, in, in my life. Just I just I slot I interviewed with a few people, completely slayed it, like completely just slaughtered it, just like left it fucking bleeding out, like like a fucking cattle, you know, like just like killed that shit. And that was so <laughs> Oh man, that shit that was God, bitch. That wasn't me, that was God. Because all the curveballs that tried to throw at me, mm-mm. Each and every one of them. I hate them bitches. And yeah, so that was on a Monday. Uh, on a Wednesday, had a fantastic demo day. Um, I had, you know, all kinds of big wigs coming to my table and I was just killing it. And yeah, on Friday, I received a call from the recruiter that I was being extended an offer by the company that I had interviewed with on Monday. And the offer was a six-figure offer with a bonus and, you know all this stuff. And when I tell you, like, my mom just cried. My mom was there in the car with me when when, when this happened. And um, it was just so amazing. And I just felt so grateful. And it was just so surreal. Just like knowing that, you know, all this time, all this, this whole entire season of development, like truly, like in these past few months, I had absolutely no life. Like this was just it. But in this entire season of of development, you know, spiritual development and, and um, physical development and also, you know, career development, just, you know, development all around, it truly was a season of transformation and, and struggle and sacrifice. And, you know, it all culminated in me receiving this offer for a higher salary than I'd ever had, ever, you know, in an industry where I, I literally just broke into, in an industry I literally had no business being in, in an industry with immense gatekeeping. And here I was, little old me, you know, doing the damn thing because God said so. Period. Like, it was just so fucking incredible. So yeah, I interviewed on Monday, demo day on Wednesday, Friday I got my offer. That weekend I flew out to Puerto Rico for the uh, Daddy Yankee concert. He literally did 12 shows sold out back to back at the Coliseum, um, which is fucking insane. Never been for, never before done in history. It was like a nice treat to me um, for my birthday. And yeah, uh, Literally accepted my offer while I was in Puerto Rico and came back and, you know, that was it. A week later, I was in Jersey at my brother's for Christmas. And one of the things that he got me was a mug that came with a little stone and they had scripture on it. Of all the verses in the entire Bible, guess what scripture was was on it? Joshua 1.9. Girl. There was no way he could have known that I had been receiving this word, that I had even been reading Joshua. Literally none of that. He could have known that. There was no way. And here I was, you know, receiving more confirmation and more encouragement in preparation for this new journey I was about to take. I started my job on January 6, 2020, exactly a year from the date I had heard that prophetic walking on water sermon. And, you know, this year through tumultuous times, you know, when God is with you, it doesn't mean that you won't be tried. It doesn't mean that you won't have struggles. And it doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect. What it does mean is that there's always hope. That there's always a way. And you know, even through the difficulties that I face in different areas of my life, including my job, I recognize that this wilderness that God led me through and the land he brought me to have been immense blessings in my life and for my family. Not just for those who are here right now, but for future generations, my offspring who are only a thought right now. Because... How did I go from having such a sad ass, oppressive ass, depressing ass day to day, you know, 
in entertainment with a slave ass salary to making three and a half times that as a software engineer in a major tech company in an industry I had no business being in without any formal experience because bitch, my degree's in communications and I hadn't coded shit since MySpace, okay? And without taking on any debt, matter of fact, I got paid to learn this shit. So truly, I tell you, God is fucking wild. He is so good. And he got a sense of humor too, bitch, because I can tell you for a fact that I'm making more money than some agents. Respectfully. People who were two levels above me. I'm in a position where I'm respected, where I'm not getting violated, where there is so much... There's literally... This is only my starting salary. Like, I cannot emphasize that enough. This is a base entry level. This is what I'm making fresh out of boot camp, bitch. I'm dead ass making 10 times what I made last year right now. This abundance has allowed me to position myself in ways that I couldn't before. Like, I was really disciplined with my earnings, so I was able to clear all of my credit card debt. I built up a robust emergency fund. Bitch, I had like 12 cents on my savings account since senior year of college. And look at me with a whole emergency fund. The fuck? And I've been able to be more of a blessing to others in generosity and, you know, be more giving than I was before. It's it's truly been something else. Look at us. Hey, look at us. Look at us. Huh? Who would have thought? Not me. Anyway, this episode is a testament to how God truly can do the unimaginable. I really just wanted to share all of this with you guys, you know, hopefully to encourage someone. You know, it's it's actually crazy. Some of the attacks I've gone through in just the past few weeks trying to put this together. I'll share one with you real quick. One of them was a few weeks ago, I'd been experiencing spiritual attacks, delayed all of this. And then one Saturday, I take a nap. And when I'm asleep, I have a prophetic dream about this testimony. So when I woke up, instead of waking up down how I had been, I woke up refreshed, energized, just ready to go super excited. Like, okay, God, let's do this. Tell me why. I tapped on my computer to wake it up off sleep mode. And it was on. A moment later, it just lets out this huge sigh. Like, <sighs> and, and just died. Y'all, this was my brand new MacBook Pro. I had just bought it two months before. Brand new, decked out with one terabyte storage and 32 gigs of RAM. That had been working like the smoothest fucking machine, period. And suddenly, when I'm about to get to work, this bitch just goes and dies. Okay. And shit was wildin'. Like, there was a support article for what to do if your computer won't boot up all the way. It's like, if A happens, do B. If X happens, do Y. My computer was experiencing every single one of those possibilities in that article. It made no sense. Thank God there happened to be one last appointment to Genius Bar the next day, Sunday. Which, usually those are booked out several days in advance. But long story short... They were like, what the fuck? And they ended up checking it in for repairs. None of the software fixes worked, so they ended up having to replace my logic board, which is basically the computer, um, and my Touch ID bar. Again, this was a brand new decked out computer, and the second I have a prophetic dream about the shit I gotta do, it does this. I still don't even have it due to COVID delays, so I had to buy an extra computer for the meantime until I get it back. Another thing that happened, this is just this past Saturday, not even a week ago. Um, while I'm working on this, my mom randomly sent me Joshua 1.9, Be Strong and Courageous. And, it, you know, it was just one of the daily verses that she sends. I haven't received that word in so long, you know, um, but she sent it. And I took that as a nudge to incorporate that into this story because, I mean, this has just been so, there's so many details um, and I hadn't done that yet. So I took that as a nudge. Tell me why within that same hour, I started having strong pains in my chest on my left side. I ended up having to go to the ER. Um, I went to Mass General. I got an EKG, got a bunch of labs, got a chest x-ray. At the end of the day, there was no explanation for it. So they just sent my ass home. So anyway, I don't take any of this lightly. I know the enemy's mad as fuck that I'm out here um, talking to y'all. I know that it's my duty as someone who's been so blessed by the Lord, as someone who's, you know, seen his almighty hand in, in, at work in my life and experienced his grace, mercy, love, protection, and provision to speak up. 
and sing his praises and, you know, tell y'all what it's really been for me. Because y'all know me. Like, y'all know that, you know, y'all heard me come on here and evangelize a motherfucking Popeye's spicy chicken sandwich that time it came out. You know, and I did the same thing for Resilient Coders. Even before I graduated, I was telling everybody about it. Like, yo, this could really change your life. And, you know, that's just who I am. I'm a promoter. Like, if I find value in something, no matter how great or like, you know, seemingly minuscule it might be, I'm going to put y'all on. I'm going I'm to support it loudly and unapologetically. And, you know, I'm going to give you the information just to make you hear that it's even an option. So if my God fucking stunted like this with someone like me, how the fuck am I not going to give you, you know, how, how am I going to be quiet about it? Like, what am I, the godly gatekeeper? The praise porter? The sky century bitch, the divine doorman? Like, absolutely not. I'm gonna be loud and proud about him the same way he's loud and unashamed about me. That might be a word for somebody. If you've made it this far, you are an absolute champion. Hit me up if you have any questions about anything that I've said. And as always, thank you for listening and thank you so much for your support. I give you all my love. God bless.